Got it. Let's go ahead and talk about it when we get in, uh, in the actual segment so that we have content. Kiss my ass. Well, you're all the way in Jersey, so I can't. All I'll right. Mail it to you. Mailing your ass. All no, right. ask. I said ask with a K, A-S-K. I'm going to write it down on a piece of paper, put it in an envelope, and I'm going to send it over to him. I'm going to tell him to kiss it. Oh, no. Well, looks like someone gets to go on a journey to somewhere. All right. My ask. I'm starting the segment now. screwed over today because of that. And technology. So, I think that we're, we got a little Canadian cast connection there. It's tenuous. Tenuous at best. Hello everyone and welcome to Commander Cast episode 211. We're your weekly source for community, strategy, and technology, hosted on mtgcast.com and our home site, commandercast.com. We're recording this on August 6, 2015. I'm your host of the show, William, and joining me as always is my perennial co-host, Calvin. How are you doing today, sir? Hey, everybody. It's Calvin. I'm also known as Captain Red Zone around the internet. Uh, coming back for episode 211. I was off last week because I was busy moving and packing and carrying heavy stuff from one location to another, but I'm... Settled in enough now where I can actually stop having to do that and take a break to be able to do my normal thing of show. Yep. Also, uh, also I have a uh, extensively bad itch on my ankle that I've got to get down to. Hold on a moment. I'll be right back. So while he's gone again, uh, Mark and Clay are no-shows. Mark has a – well, his game shop moved EDH now, so he's actually going out to play EDH for a bit. And that's perfectly fine here. We don't begrudge anyone the chance to take a week off. But despite what Calvin might say. But Clay is on his trip to the beach with his family and a girlfriend. So, hey, Clay, hope you're listening. See you next week. But He's we- not. He is not listening. If I was on a beach, I would not be listening to an episode of Commander Cast. I'd be too Why busy would you listen to an episode of Commander Cast on the beach? Drinking, mar- drinking martinis, sitting back, waiting for, like, tidal waves to come in. Last thing I'd be thinking about is Commander Cast. Oh, you're at least thinking about your buddy, the Scryfish? Patrick? No. Screw that guy. Aw. So, Calvin, we ended up bringing on someone else to help fill the void. Uh, we've got the Canadian comedian himself, Eric, here today. This is the first time I've ever heard you get the intro in the first try. What? Uh, like, every <laughs> other episode I've ever been on, uh, Noel pointed it out, too. He's like, actually, you know what, you're right. I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever heard him get it in one. But you, I just want Noel to know, you did not have to redo that intro. You got it right the first time. Well, it helps when someone doesn't interrupt me every episode, Calvin. I have no idea what you're talking about. I stopped doing that about 50 episodes back. Yeah, and it just kind of... Yeah, in case you haven't noticed, I've stopped flubbing the intro a few episodes back. No, no, because no started doing it. And then at a certain point, you know, we just wait for you to drop the microphone, and then I just interrupt you there and just take over the show. Well, that's less... He's moved from... uh, Eric, he's basically moved away from messing up the intro to dropping his microphone and giving us a chance to mutiny and take the show from him while he's fiddling with his mic. That's only happened 12 times. More than That's more times than it should have. <laughs> that's, yeah, 12 sounds like more times than it should have. 
Okay, so, Eric, let's assume that people don't go to our site regularly or, and check out the other content we have here. Who are you? What do you do for us? I'm some guy who lives in the basement. I try to lick your heels when you're walking down the stairs. No, um, I'm a host of another show called uh, Rivals Duel with Noel Clausen, where we argue about stuff, usually with me taking a beat stick approach to the argument and him taking a socially acceptable and controlly approach to arguments. So that's fun, and we joke around, and it's it's a good show. You should check it out. Uh, I also used to write a, a, a article series called Vexing Devil's Advocate, and then I did another one about uh, blowing up decks that are annoying. So if you go back on the site, you, there's tons of shit I wrote all over the place. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. We, we still can't get enough disinfectant in there. So, guys, it's time for us to sit down with our favorite commands this week. Eric, as guest, you get first crack at it. Who you bring to the table? Ah, uh, Prosh. Prosh is probably still my favorite commander. Although, I did finally get a throw mock, and I'm building that deck to try it out, and I'm very excited to see how it goes. So, actually, there's someone who plays a throw mock deck in my meta. What, what are you kind of thinking finisher-wise with it? Uh, my idea is that it's going to be playing the two things I like the most, really big guys and lots of little guys. And it's both at the same time. So for finishers, I have some stuff to go with Thromok. I have Warstorm Surge. I might use Fling. Uh, I'm using Xenogod. There's a couple more. There's one that I thought was kind of clever, and I can't think. Oh, the one that I thought that was kind of uh, clever is Chandra's Ignition, I think, from the new set. The five-mana sorcery, where you sack a creature and deal damage equal to its power to all other creatures and each of your opponents. I thought that was kind of cute. it sacks? I didn't think it did. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's just a, deal it's damage. Yeah, it's you, you, don't, it doesn't, you don't sack, you choose the creature, it deals damage to all other creatures. Yeah, so I thought that was kind of adorable. Uh, I need to get a doubling season if the deck ends up being good, but other than that, like uh, I'm going to just take it for a test drive and see how it goes. Uh, I'm looking forward to finding out if I can make it work. Because Throwmock is not a very good general. He has a very unique effect, but as a card, he doesn't function well as a general because you have to you have to have stuff you're willing to throw away in order to cast him. And any general that you can't just cast regularly is not very good. <laughs> it's definitely not the best, but that does mean that it usually has some sort of cool utility option, right? Mm-hmm. All right. And his cool utility option is massive, massive numbers. Oh, so big. Calvin, who are you bring to the table? Uh, is it possible that we can choose a Commander of the Week that's the same commander as another person on the episode? If you want. Are you copying okay, my prosh? Actually, yeah, I might be copying your prosh. <laughs> because this week, I would say that the commander that I want to choose is... Uh, Eric, have you been, like, following our show at all, just to ask? Uh, not recently. Why? What's up? What well, I missed? Roughly about, well, about two weeks ago, we had a listener send us a deck. And it was okay. basically a red-green stompy dragons deck. It had, like, ramps stuck in it, a bunch of red-green dragons, red dragons and stuff. And pretty mm-hmm. much the deck was, like, ramp, ramp, ramp into big dragons. And it was piloted as the commander was a Tarka. Okay. The, um, the Which one? one? Has one the one when dragons attack, they gain double strike. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. And I was looking at this particular deck, and I was like, you know what? I like it. And I really enjoyed the way that the deck looked, and I enjoyed the way the deck felt, like, just, like, on paper. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about turning that into my new red-green deck and giving it a shot. But okay. then the more I thought about it, I was like, you know what? If I used Prosh, I could build the same deck, but the difference here would be that Autarka would be in it, and I would have access to, like, Brutemate Dragon and stuff. Uh, Hang on. 
coming in. You oh, you want to make it in black, so you okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I want to make it green, red, and black. Put Frost at the helm, and then that way I have access to a few more black dragons, a few more red black dragons, red you know, like you know green black dragons. If there's anything mm-hmm. I can find in those colors or whatever the case may be. You know, just, just open up my dragon pool a little bit more and then still have access to a few of my favorite big, stompy dragons that are triple color. Okay. Yeah. So, so for the, for this week, if I'm picking a commander for the week that I'm currently in, going to be playing around with, it's going to be Prosh. Why I'll didn't you pick Karthus? Hmm? Why didn't you pick... Oh, okay, you don't have a Karthus? <laughs> I don't have a Karthus. I have a Prosh. I don't have a Prosh. Yeah, I was going to say... I have, the, I have the Precon, so I have a, I have a Prosh. Never uh, picked up a you should go pick up a Karthus, because he gives all your dragons haste. Oh, really? Yeah, that's... Yeah, he's pretty good. He also takes your opponent's dragons. Just don't let him get cloned. Yeah, that, that's the primary reason why I've got Soul Blast in the deck now. <laughs> also Fling, and Frexton Tower, and a bunch of other sack outlets. Okay, so... Work? Yeah, because in response to their clone casting... You sat Karthus. Uh, so when the, the clone, okay, okay. like you just don't even give them the option. Like even if they don't, if, even if you think like, they don't like, see it, like you see, it, you, you see the clone coming, you're like, nope, snatch that rogue right out from underneath you before you even got a chance to step on it. Yeah, mm-hmm. even if you don't think they see it, you gotta get rid of the dragon. Dragon. Because there's always gonna be that one asshole who points it out at the table. Like, well, you know, if you were to take that dragon, you could really screw over Will right now. And don't you know there and are Will. people who enjoy doing that? Uh, I can't oh, imagine who sure. these people are. All There's right. got to be at least two people that I know that would be in, that would have like a field day of just messing Will's life up completely. <laughs> I have no, I can't like get their names in the back of my head at the moment, but I'm pretty sure there's at least two people out there. Probably at least two. I oh. mean, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> All right. So my favorite commander of the week is going to be whoever the hell. Crush. I just thought about it. I legitimately thought about it. Three Proshes. Oh my god, that'd be awesome. But see, the problem is, like, my friend plays Prosh, and I've got another guy who plays Prosh, and, like, there's another third guy who plays Prosh. Like, there's already a lot of Prosh players in my meta. Mm-hmm. So instead, I'm going to pick a command who hasn't gotten released yet. I'm just going to say whoever the hell gets released as the marquee commander for the black-white command index for 2015. What's your you, friend? Oh, so, uh, so what's that, uh, Tesa? I, no, the, the new marquee commander. Yeah, so that's going to be like, what, Tesa? Or is it going to... <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if Tesa got reprinted in that deck. Yeah. Because uh, like, 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 my view for it is, like, uh, we'll get to that point when we get to that point. We're getting to that point, right? Yeah, we're getting to that point right now, actually, which makes it a great transition to get back on topic. So, Watsy finally confirmed that, yes, we're getting commander decks for 2015. No, yeah. everyone was relieved, but not surprised. Uh, no, we didn't get a chance to talk about the actual confirmation. But, but, we, but we did get a chance to bitch about why we didn't get notification of it sooner. Well, you guys... Because, you know, we're, internet, cause we're guys on the internet, and we kind of do that here. Yeah, it came out, we, bi- we bitched, our episode came out, then literally later that week we got confirmation. Yeah. See? Commander Kaz, doing stuff for you, people. Yes. <laughs> voice, of the, voice of the people and the complainers. So, yeah. So we are getting enemy-paired du- uh, decks... Which means we're getting Boros, Orzov, Simic, Golgari, and a little something called Is It. And we've already kind of preliminarily divided them just based on what we're in- interested in. For me, that happens to be Black Light because it's one of the harder decks for me to build conceptually right now. Like, I, I don't know what I wa- want to do with Black White necessarily. Like, I had a Taste of Deck, but then I kind of got bored of it, so I tried doing other stuff, and that didn't really work out 
for me, regardless of what I did. So I'm really excited by this. I'm really looking forward to seeing if they can make Boros work. I'm, I'm sorry, what was that? Making Boros work? Boros already works. I'm, I'm sure it does where you play. Yes, there's like Jorkidine, Metal Voltron stuff, and I have already uh, all the attacks, and Calvin's got like three Boros decks. Love my Boros decks. My, I've never made a Boros deck that was able to hold up, so I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do to, uh, what they do with their Boros deck that's coming out. I won't deny that I'm interested in it, but I also had a friend who had an Eros deck, and that was a really fast, aggressive deck. Eros is, Eros is pretty good, but he's also like the newest guy on the scene for Boros, right? He is, but that, but he has such a powerful effect for aggressive decks. Like, I, like, I keep remembering that the whole Goblin War Drum fact, like, Eros, I can't want to say Eros just, menace. I want to check Eros out real quick. Has he been a rider to say creatures you control have menace? Probably no, not. No, not that I can see in the magiccards.info oracle. Still says creatures you control can't be blocked except by two or more creatures. Would be cool if he just granted everyone menace. Mm-hmm. He's a very menacing god. Yeah, creatures you control have menace. Yeah, like I keep remembering the double blocking thing, but I keep forgetting that, you know, I can't nice. deal damage to anything that's attacking. And that's. Oh, the Dolmen Gate part? <laughs> yeah, like. Dolmen Gate menacers. Like, I play him in Kalia because I think he's so good. Well, you play a lot of things in Kalia that you think are so good. I do. But, 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 well, this is one time where he actually has a good card in his deck that at least I'm uh, pretty sure that the both of us can agree upon. I would n- not play Eros and Kalia, not for a second. Of course, you I'm just saying. It, I'm just saying Eros. I'm just saying it's still a good card. I'm not oh, saying yeah, it's, it's a, a good card for his deck, but I'm saying at least card, it's a good card that we Kalia. can be like, like it's a good card. He's playing in his Kalia deck, <laughs> but at least we know there's one good card in his actual deck. What was the last angel that I was giving you trouble for playing in uh, Kalia? Was uh, it like Bad uh, Avacyn or something? No, it wasn't. It was, it was, well, it was either Bad Avacyn or been, it was... Uh, well, there isn't a Bad Avacyn. So. Oh, okay, so it was Bad Avacyn. <laughs> I mean, she doesn't make the first 99 list, but she's mm-hmm. in the second 99 right. list. Oh, or according, according to William, there's no it, there's no bad Avacyn. There's a not good Avacyn, but she's not bad, according to William's uh, rating meter. Yeah, yeah. Avacyn the Mana Sink. Hey, it's a very good Mana Sink. Helps lock out Azuri. Of course it does. It does. Okay, so Commander Dex 2015 coming out. Absolutely print on demand. If the demand is there, they will print them, which I think is awesome. And... Of course, there's also the fact that we got confirmation that we are not getting the enemy fetches in Battle of Zendikar. We're getting forwards, yeah. but not the fetches. Really? Yeah. I didn't. I hadn't been realized that. That's a little annoying. Really? That's surprising because as soon as Morrow confirmed that, like Twitter just lit on fire. Like you could literally roast marshmallows from here, in Ohio. Whatever. We might get them in the second set. We might, uh, and if not, we'll probably see them in the Modern Masters thing down the line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They'll be back somewhere or another. See, I'm really people are with with the other announcement that the commander decks were enemy colored. I'm really hoping that the fetches aren't in the enemy colored decks. Like I could then they'd be picked up. Yeah, like then people would just be picking them up for the fetch lands and stuff like that. And I don't think that's really good. I don't think Uh, they will. I don't think they would do that well. No, because then that would mean that in order for that to work, each fetch land would be in like a thirty-five dollar deck. Yep. Upon yeah. which time you'd be kind of just better off just kind of buying the fetches themselves at that kind of price, you know? Almost. You'd almost be right. But then once the announcement came out, then the prices on fetches skyrocketed. 
Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, if announcements are fetches for, like, like I'm saying, like, currently the fetches have, have skyrocketed because, you know, they're not being reprinted. But if people knew they were going to be in this commander set, they were going to be just available constantly to anyone who chose to do it. And these sets have a have a tendency to be, like, reordered, repicked up. And they're not like, it's not like uh, the commander's arsenal where it's like a limited print run. These are things where, like, if the shop runs out of it, they can order more. Yeah, so it's, uh, they would, they would completely lampoon the price of fetches. Right. Yep. I would Holy. Like to, I would like to see the filter lands in them, though. A scalding tarn is $90. I told you! That's a lot. It is! Which one do I have an extra of? What's the black-green one called? Uh... Wait, what's, well, which one is scalding tarn? Is that the red-blue red one? Yeah, that's red-blue. It was burdened something? Yeah, $90 on? Really? You don't think? I have a couple of those lying around still. It was like when I found out Calia was so damn expensive. I have two Calias, and I had no idea that she cost so much. Which is interesting, because I need a third. <laughs> you want to buy my normal Calia? I'm keeping the fancy foil one. Nah, it's the fancy foil one I'm looking for. Yeah, the fancy foil one is $70. It is. Jesus. Ugh. No, he can't help you now. Alright. So if you like what we do here at Commander Cast, and also listen to Rivals Duel, then hey, we have a bunch of other stuff you can check out on our website. Monday's when we put up our Commander Cast Prime episodes, and Tuesday we alternate between Mark's Deck Builder Spotlight and my Journey to Somewhere. Last time I talked about, you know, using other cards from other games as tokens, which I think is really cool and fun idea. It turns out Judson uses Cardfight Vanguard to- cards, which is really cool. Wednesday, we've got our strategy segments with Grandpa Gross' Dexplanation stuff. He always impresses me with the stuff he comes out. Like, came out with an article about, you know, fully maximizing cards in decks and just going with an idea. And what that's... He's preaching to the choir when, when it's me re- reading it. Like, fantastic stuff. Thursday is when Rivals Duel goes up. Isn't that right, Eric? Yep, every other Thursday. Yep, in fact, an episode just went up, so by the time that you're hearing this, dear listener, it'll be last Thursday. So, Eric, what was that episode about? Uh, that one was actually about the new Commander product coming out in November. We took guesses at uh, what the themes were and what the different generals were going to be for every deck. Uh, and then we basically caught up on uh, just other preview stuff. Uh, worth checking out because Noel is very medicated for the recording of that episode. Still? Like, isn't that like the second or third episode in a row? Not not in a row, but like, it is <laughs> kind of, it does kind of seem like a theme that we are, uh, th- that we record the show and one of us is hopped up on something. Not like, Wait, and it's second, always something that's been- Are you trying to tell me that Rival Duel has become like the new six-pack six set review? I was just about to say that. that. Eric, no. Are you, cheating, it, are, you, are you having whiskeys and drinks with other people? No, it's like prescription yes. stuff. Like stuff we have to take. Yes, is Eric oh. cheating on you with his wife? What kind of question is that, Calvin? You bastard, I thought we had something special. Yeah. <laughs> Friday wraps up our week with our technology segment, and Aaron also does... Oh, no! Calvin dropped the call! Quick! Quick! Calvin is down! It's time for us to mutiny against Calvin! Wait, no, I'm already... I'm not going to mutiny with you against Calvin. Wait, so how does that work if I'm already ahead, but then I throw a mutiny? Explain to me how you're going to mutiny against me. Yeah, that makes no sense at all. You know what does so, make sense? So, so, so you see there, Eric, that's basically William admitting in, uh, openly that I'm the one who runs the show. I'm the face that runs the place. You know what else doesn't make sense? The fact that we don't have an episode from Dodo Bird Commander this month. I'm kind of really disappointed oh. about that. But you know what? You can check out his old stuff and check out his new stuff every first of every other month. So stay tuned for that. 
And also, a bit of a special announcement that Calvin really wanted to be here for. So, as you, the listening audience, may or may not know, I have a dream. A dream of expanding CommanderCast into, at this point, kind of like a sorty mini-network, sort of a conglomerate of just all the Commander content. This is the one... I want this to become your one-stop shop for all things Commander. And part of that is picking up other additional content. So, I am very proud and happy to announce that... The guys from Squirecast are joining the CommanderCast family. That's right, if you've heard them on NTGCast.com, then you know that Matt and his friends podcast regularly about casual magic, constructed, and they do EDH quite a bit fair amount, so I think it counts. They have some great discussions, and hey, you know what else? They're Australian, so you get that little bit there. So, starting in about a week or so, we'll be posting Squirecast episodes to our RSS feed and our website. Calvin, I'm really excited about that. Like, I'm extremely excited. I'm glad to have the guys from Squirecast on. They do amazing work, and I look forward to editing their content. What? That I've talked with them. They're going to start sending me their shows. I have to send them a copy of my... I have to set up a Dropbox thing with them so they can send me their episodes, and then I'm going to start editing their shows for them and posting them up to MTGCast and to CommanderCast.com for them, Which like I, I do for our show. And I know that just absolutely blew Matt's mind when I actually brought that up. Like he had, like they had me on their episode, on their show a couple of weeks back. And when I brought up the idea of, first of all, them coming on to, to the website, that oh, had already destroyed their minds. But then Matt had said that he would have loved to have had someone like Calvin who could help edit his shows because even though he, he has a certain way that he likes it done, he also wished that he had someone who could help him with editing. And so when Calvin volunteered his services, I went and said, hey, you want someone like Calvin? Why not just actual Calvin? He was like, no fucking way. And so that would mean that I would be, I would be I'm going to try to, I have to figure out a new title for what I actually do here. Because basically it's going to be, what is it? The only shows that's currently on our site that I don't edit are Rivals Duel and The Stack, I believe. I think we just say that you're your head editor or well no no Mark is head article editor. Yeah, see he's article head editor. Producer, I'm have to be, I have to head audio editor, head producer, or something of that nature. I'll say head producer. That sounds better. Head producer, I guess. Producer, and I was yes. intending on and I was gonna make the offer off to Noel to edit um, Rivals to a forum once too, but then this one came up and I'm like, hey, let me ask these guys first because they're gonna be new to the site, see what's going on, see if we can make it easier for them to do the transition to our site. Mm. And if editing this show and the other ones t- don't take up nearly as much time as I'm expecting, and I still have the free time, I'll let Noel know if uh if he'll that I'm available to do another one if if the time uh doesn't eat up my entire life. So we've got c- contributors from the good U.S. of A., Canada, and now Australia. We just got to get a couple of other places, and we'll have most of the English-speaking world at our fingertips. A couple other places. That's a lot of other places if you're looking to cover the whole English-speaking world. I mean... Because when you think about it, like, technically, that's just, like, North America and Australia. Uh, Like, if we had a podcast from South America, one from Africa, from, from, like, Europe and and Asia and stuff, like, yeah, then we could be like, yeah, we're worldwide. But still, with this content that we're tossing out there, we're tossing out a lot of content, the vast majority of which comes from America. (laughs) Yeah, and even, like, even parts of it that don't come directly from the United States of America come from Canada, which is still technically America. Actually, you go ahead and keep, uh, hold on. As William goes ahead and tries to find something to do, we're going to continue a conversation. So basically, like, as I see it, like, you know, that's, it's one of those things where I would like to do the editing for Rivals Duel, 
and I was going to make the offer to Noel. I think I made it to him once before, and I think he said he didn't want it at the time because he wanted to give it a try and try and do it. A... <laughs> what the hell are you giggling at? Giggling at something. I can't look at that picture and not start giggling. Like, it was so, it was so <sighs> bad. I'm in the chat box? Nope, I am not looking at it. Nope. No, because I'm on a phone. If I try and if I try and touch that link, this conversation's over. It's hey, you're not missing much. So I'll look at it later. I'll put it in the show notes. It's a dude posing beside an oversized rodent. It's a quokka. A what? A quokka. It's like the world's the biggest hell? rodent or something like that. They have them in Australia. Apparently, they like the photobomb selfies. And mm-hmm. the, guy, the guys on Squarecast showed this to me, and I just literally couldn't stop laughing for a good 15 minutes. I'm pretty sure there's dangly bits where it's just nothing but me laughing and them going, what the fuck is going on? Uh, William, you are a lost cause. No, I know. I know where I'm at. No, 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 you're not. No, you don't. Uh-uh. You're wrong. And besides, I don't know what you're giggling at. There's nothing funny in Australia. Oh, you'll find Everything you. in Australia. Yeah, is everything is trying to kill you. Well, that's the joke. <laughs> everything. No, no. Everything in Australia is on a murderous rampl- rampage. And the joke is that you thought you could live in Australia. All right. Yeah, go ahead. You, know, you keep laughing. You know, I'm just letting you know. Like, Australia is the Liam Neeson of continents. It will find you, and it will kill you, because it has a particular set of skills, and you um, don't want to piss it off. So I would stop laughing at Australia right now if I were you. Okay. So any last things you wanted to say about editing Squirecast? Uh, nope. Looking forward to it. I have to get in contact with the guys over there to make sure that they're editing content. And my editing style are able to sync up correctly. And once I figure out what they would prefer and how they want it edited, then everything should be all right. Well, I well they already said that Friday would work for them, so you can expect it coming to a Friday near you. Coming in on a Friday near you. Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and get to our main topic today, guys. Today. Paddling. What? Paddles. I. I'm in my attic. I found paddles. I don't know whether he's talking about, like, for a canoe or for, like, fetish like, horn. No, I, like I was really thinking pinball. ping-pong paddles. Oh, ping-pong paddles. So yeah, for fetish like horn. Really right, yeah. like Archer. Yeah. Crazy. Okay, makes sense. Okay, so, guys, today we're having an episode about villains. Villains, the antagonists of, of stories. You know, we're going back to Battle for Zendikar. The Eldrazi are actually going to be back. Bolas' plans are still kind of in motion. Rexians have taken over Meriden. We're going to be talking about villains, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. Chicka chicka wow wow. Fuck that Bolas guy. Hmm. Apparently Stark does not like Bolas. He does not like the scheming villains. I don't understand why he doesn't like Bolas. Bolas, Nico Bolas is like the apocalypse of Magic the Gathering. For X-Men references, in case... No, I, I got it. I was going to be like, I didn't. I'm born in ancient Egypt, and uh, does no, he send no, he's, he's, an, he's an extremely old entity that's constantly trying to do stuff, but is never truly successful. Mm-hmm. He he's the uh, he's the X Men equivalent of the old man bitching about uh, the kids on his lawn kicking his butt every day. So villains and magic. 
we all have our favorite archetype, our favorite kind of villain. You know, e even growing up from Power Rangers, you get a strong sense of villains. You know, Marvel cartoons. You know, I grew up watching Spider-Man the Animated Series, so I grew up with Wilson Fisk being a Spider-Man villain rather than a Daredevil villain, as weird as that is to think now. But still, villains are literally everywhere. Like, you might even have a personal villain in your school, or office, or bar, or local playgroup. But before we get to that, let's just go ahead and talk about villains in ger general, like just across all media. The first thing I want to go ahead and ask is, guys, who is your favorite villain among all of fiction? Um, Eric, you can go first if you want one, if you want to take a shot at it. Favorite villain in all of fiction is a really, really broad and hard question to answer. But if I'm... It is. Like, everyone, I've, I've been asking everyone that question this week, and they've all said the exact same thing. All right, can the I actual, pick? The, and, and the exact same thing they've all said is that their favorite villain is Tony Stark. <laughs> can, I, uh, can I pick two? Sure. All right. If I'm going for just raw evil... Like, Ross, like, this thing is really, really scary, it's really evil, it's terrifying, that's what you're going for, uh, then anything out of H.P. Lovecraft. The, like, cosmic horror stuff is super scary, all the Elder Gods, the idea of humans being so insignificant and stuff like that, um... They're super, super scary. They're super weird. Uh, just trying to understand them drives you a little insane. So it's like, as far as villains go, they're a pretty solid concept. They're an ancient, alien, incomprehensible evil that just being near them drives you to madness. Well, so doesn't that mean that they are just literally pure concept? Uh, no, because they have bodies if they want sometimes. They do all sorts of craziness. They're just like, they're so like, they exist... The idea behind them is that they're so ancient and they're so incomprehensible to the human mind that when you try to understand them, your brain just cracks. Just like the Eldrazi, when they're not on plane. Yeah, the Eldrazi are very, very much Magic's version of H.P. Lovecraft, like Cthulhu stuff. That, and that, that happens all over the place. People rip on uh, Cthulhu for their stuff all the time. The Reapers from Mass Effect are kind of a play on Cthulhu stuff. Uh, lots of, lots of stuff takes from this. So, uh, if anyone pl has played Bloodborne for the PS4, it's all H.P. Lovecraft stuff. Um, and H.P. So Lovecraft is a great writer because a lot of his, um, descriptions of these characters are very nondescriptive in a way. Yeah. It's the best way I can, like, kind of put it. Yeah, It'll he be like, used... you know, he'll, he'll say something like, there's a man who's not too tall standing next to another man who is not too short. And then your brain kind of has to, like, envision it yourself without actually having a direct description of what it looks like. He he does do the runaround a bit. If you want to go back and check out uh, any H.P. Lovecraft stuff, I strongly recommend it. Just be prepared. He was very racist. So there there's a lot of that in there. Um, huh. so, however... Okay, so, sec so second one, second one. If, you, if you're not going for just scary, like crap your pants immediately and run and hide under the couch if you're going for the most interesting villain. The best villain ever, I think, is Magneto. Hmm. Okay, because so, Yeah, go ahead and elaborate on that. Because he is a he's one of the only villains who has a point who like can stand up to scrutiny. People will say like, oh Hannibal Lecter or the Joker like sometimes have a point and stuff like that. But like if you think about it as a normal human being for more than five seconds, you're like, no, they're they're friggin' insane. I don't care how charming they are. They're insane and evil and that's it. But Magneto's entire thing is that I lived through the Holocaust of my race once. 
I don't want that to happen again, and I will do anything to prevent it from happening again. And he exists in a world where that is constantly about to happen. It also helps that he's crazy powerful. So he's, like, he's philosophically interesting, but he's definitely, like, some people get on this thing, like, Magneto's an anti-hero. No, he is definitely a villain. He behaves as a villain, but he's a villain who has very justifiable reasons for what he does and how he conducts himself. Okay, so, Calvin, you we've talked about this on the phone, but who are your favorite villains? Uh, well, there are two favorite villains that I personally have always kind of, like, put my money behind as my favorites. Uh, number one has always been the Joker, primarily because he's a character that I've deeply enjoyed throughout my lifetime. Sometimes he's just this crazy, oddball, villainous character that just does weird things that just can't be predicted. And then other times he has a method behind his madness, depending on which variation you're looking towards. But a large portion of the time, the main reason I've always enjoyed him is because he's a nice counterbalance. Because I think that any good villain has to be like the perfect counterbalance to their hero. So say, for instance, like uh, Sherlock Holmes, correct? He's an extremely intelligent detective. He's amazing at doing all types of deductions and whatever the case may be. I'm not even sure if that's what he's doing. There's, people have broken it down. I think I'm using the wrong term, but still, he's a great detective, correct? No, deduction is what he's doing. You got it, you got it perfectly it's, right. It is, it is deduction? Mm-hmm. Okay, because yep. cause someone, cause I remember someone was saying, like, arguing with me about it being something else. I can't remember the actual, like, term they were using. I forget it. It slips in my mind at the moment. Deduction is when you take what you can see about someone or something and use right. it to infer other information. And use it to infer other information. Yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, that's, that's so what Sherlock does. Holmes is amazing at deduction because he can look at the environment, he can kind of piece together what's happened, and he can solve crimes without actually needing all of the information. So the perfect balance to a villain towards him would be someone who is also just as good as he is, but using it for nefarious purposes, like Dr. Moliari. I personally see the Joker being someone who is just as intelligent, just as well-diverse, just as creative as Bruce Wayne or Batman is. But he uses it in ways that can totally throw anyone other than him, other than Batman through a loop. In most situations and most comic books here and most comic books in of in most comic books, when other superheroes come in contact with the Joker, they have no clue what to expect and how to deal with him. And he t- has a tendency to always get the upper hand. He's done it against, like, Superman. He's gotten the upper hand against Flash. All because they see him and he kind of, like, in their... They just automatically see him as just a guy in the clown makeup and they underestimate him. He just kind of throws him for a loop. I remember those crossover like, movies. Yeah, similar to how, like, when people see Batman, a lot of times they just kind of underestimate him because he's only a human. But you have to remember, he's a human who spent lots of time preparing. He spent lots of time getting everything together. And the Joker's plans have a tendency to be extremely elaborate to the point where sometimes even he doesn't really know what he's doing. But it still works its way out. Have you, uh, have you read either Death of the Family or, uh, Endgame yet? I haven't got, uh, Endgame is where, uh, they, uh, with Batman. Yep. And well, the I hope you fantasy. edit that out of the show so you don't oh. spoil it for everyone. But I'll just bleep it. Endgame okay. is where, Endgame is where him and Batman, well, that's, yeah, I've, I've read Endgame, 
And Death in the Family is where he cuts death. his face off, correct? Yeah, Death of the Family is the one where he comes yeah, back. Yeah. Yep. The, both of those are really good modern Joker stories. Yep. And those are like Death in the Family, Endgame, very good modern Joker stories. Uh, the Killing Joke is a very well-known Joker story. He played a major part in the Batman v Superman story where he basically frames Batman for something that I'm not really sure if it counts as spoiling because it's so old. But spoiler alert, he kills himself and frames Batman for it by breaking his own neck. Yeah, I thought that one was absolute bullshit when I read that part. Yeah, no, but still, this is Frank Miller we're talking about. He has a tendency to take things a little bit extreme if you don't if you don't pay attention to a lot of his work. With the Frank Miller story, you're mostly there for the ride and not for the overall story. Well, see, it's, 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 it's not just, like, the whole framing Batman thing. It's the fact that Batman used, like, the, that pressure point strike to paralyze Joker and make sure that he couldn't actually do anything again outside of that crazy neck thing. I was like, well, if Batman could have done that to begin with, why wouldn't he? Would you like to live in a world where a maniac in a cape with uh, infinite access to an unbeatable armory went around snapping people's necks? No, like the whole... That's why Batman doesn't do it. (laughs) No, not... No, the disabling... No, we're talking about disabling Joker's neck from actually being able to snap his own neck. But, like, keeping, like, someone who's psychopathic from being able to do harm. Like, if you could just disable someone without actually killing them, then why wouldn't you? Like, at least make him... Batman does that a lot. Batman fucks people up all the time, but he never does it past the point of them being able to return, because once he crosses that line, he can't uncross it. Like, that's that's the idea is that, like, if he... He talks depending about it. Which, on, depending on which story we're talking about, Batman usually doesn't cross that line. Uh-huh. There have been several stories of the past where Batman totally crossed that line and went above and beyond crossing. Easily, he said, fuck that line, went over it, pissed on it, came back, got that dog to shit on it. Then, like, you know, he, like, he doesn't care about that line in certain stories. Yeah. The, the other I tell you that Batman is done. Yeah. <laughs> and, and another another point is that the Joker wants him to do it, and he doesn't want to give the Joker what he wants. I mean, mm-hmm. well, again, that's talking about like just killing someone. I'm saying about like you know. Well, he's basically what, what Williams' view is is like if Batman had the ability to put the Vulcan death grip onto his Joker to paralyze but, the rest of his body, why didn't he just paralyze his neck as well? No, that's that's not what I'm saying. Like, if you have the that's ability what you're not saying, to, then what the hell are you trying to say? To incapacitate someone to the point where they can't do harm, but leave them well enough where they can survive. Like, Batman could have at least left Joker in a wheelchair for the rest of his life, and that would have hampered things a, a little. Um, I the Joker has recovered from some things that we like less. Well, let's not talk about. Like, the Joker had cut off his own face and then got it back. Right, like, I, right. Comic book logic, I forgot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, like, he'd have found a way. Okay. We're, talking about, we're talking about the same storyline where someone took Batman, broke his back over his knee, and then a few months later, Batman was up and around, fly, flying through Gotham again, kicking all kinds of ass and taking all kinds of names. You're right, you're right. Let's go ahead and move on. So... So, so, so that's my primary um, type of villain, the Joker. Right. And then, uh, did you talk about this yet? Uh, no. And my secondary type of villain that I've always found enjoyment in would be Wilson Fisk from Daredevil. Basically, he's the kingpin to anyone out there who doesn't know. The, and most of the time, Wilson Fisk, he runs basically the crime organization throughout uh, areas of 
New York or in Hell's Kitchen, depending on the scope of what you're of which comic book series you're following through. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, he's a charitable guy. He's kind of like um, imagine Bruce Wayne as a villain, but not being Batman. And his evil counterpart is just like a head mob boss. Yep, he's very smart. He's very strong. He he is he is so big and strong that he can like tolerably stand up to people with superpowers on a regular basis. Yep, and, and he doesn't have any superpowers or strength. He's just a big ass dude. Just a real big ass dude. Although the one time that he actually pissed Spider Man off, and Spider Man came, and Fisk is like, "I fought with you before," and then Spider Man's like, "That was charity," and just beat him re- like beat him like he owed him money. <laughs> yeah, beat him relentlessly. I In mean, front like, don't of me an wrong. entire prison yard. <laughs> yeah, don't get me wrong. Fisk can be beaten. But one of the main reasons why I kind of enjoy Fisk as a villain is not because of the fact that he can be beaten. I like the idea of a villain that can that that has flaws. He's not like perfect. But the main reason I like him is because the a large portion of time when Wilson Fisk is being Wilson Fisk, you have he's very manipulative. He's very capable of convincing people to do things for him and not get his hands dirty. Can he get his hands dirty? Yes, he can. But a large portion of the time, he prefers to find ways to, like, get other people to do things for him. He can get around things. And in the end, usually he gets away with it, and he's still perceived as, like, one of the better charitable people at the end of the day. Every so often, he gets busted out there, and he has to kind of go into hiding, depending on which storyline you're following. But So, you guys aren't far, far off from the kind of villains I like. I, part, part of the problem that I had when I was trying to come up with villains that I liked was that a lot of my villains don't stay villains. Like, a lot of the villains that I like are the ones that end up being redeemed at some point. Like, if you think about characters like Darth Vader, or on the anime side, you go with, like, Sasuke Kiryu, you know, a lot of, or even just, you know, Pokemon, go old school with Team Rocket. A lot of them have moments where they're legitimately good people and they have redemption. I'm not talking about good in the sense of, like, yeah, they're here with their own story, their motivations are totally justified, like with Magneto. Like, that's actually very close. And, if I remember from just what I've heard, Magneto, he does get redemption, like get, takes over the school for Xavier and all and all that. My example is more along the of lines of this guy might like just straight up join the he- heroes, or they ha- they have this this revelation, or they they just come back from something. Like you see them as just some of the worst, or the this level of this is clearly a bad person, and then it gets flipped. You know, they kind of manage to get pulled over. I think one of the best examples I can think of is just Dinobot from Beast Wars. Like, here's a guy who's been fighting the Maximals for the first part. I, I can't re- remember. It's been so long since I've seen it. But he's fighting for Megatron for the longest time. And then decides that, you know, he wants to be, on the one, on the winning side. And two, he wants to stick it to Megatron. And the best way to do that is to actually just join the good guys. And, like, they kind of have this in... um the the new tra- Transformers, Robots in the Skies, where Grimlock is a Decepticon, but he joins with the Autobots because he's he's a good guy. There's redemption there. He's making up for some of the crimes that he, he's made in his past. And I don't know. There's just something I love about that. Avatar: The Last Airbender. For the whole first season, for the whole first for the first two you seasons. Talk about Zuko. Yeah, Zuko is one of my favorite characters. Ignoring the fact that he that his journey is like, is a parallel to Aang's and all that. 
This is a guy who was a villain for the first two seasons, and he was pretty adamant about that. First season, it's gotta catch the Avatar, burn everything down in order to catch him. Like, this guy was a huge dickhead for the first season. Second season, he starts going on the journey. Third season, he's Aang's teacher and one of his best friends. I adore villains like that. So you like the green Power Ranger origin story? Yeah. yeah. Like, none of this, none, I'm actually, I'm not big on like the whole mind control aspect of it, like where they're villains against their will, but I like um, it when they come from that place and then they choose to be, to flip over to that other side. Now, uh, something I kind of want to point out that I think is a thing that we should touch on as far as villains are concerned that I think is, uh, there, there was actually something I think is re- relevant, but right, I'll get to right. it once you finish. There, yeah, there, there was one other thing. I, uh, there was one other type I want to say. You both got two, so I've got two as well. Cause, cause like I love the redeemed villains, but I also love the villains that have fun with their role. Like vi- villains who know that they're bad guys and they live it up. Like they just have fun with it. Like if you think about Hades from the Hercules movie, I love villains like that. Villains that are having fun. Villains that joke around and do awesome stuff. Like, they're not taking things seriously all the time. And they've got this great comedic element to it. Not like pure snark level, like, oh, friendship canon and, and all that. You know, people who just, they're large, they're in charge. And then at the same time, it's like, yeah, but I was an evil minion. I could see working with this guy. Cause this guy's just, I, I like, I like his MO. He, he works good. But does that make sense? Right, well, yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, there, there's a lot of different archetypes for villains. Uh, there, as William pointed out, there's the villains who just know that they're villains and they're just, they don't really care. They're just going off doing their villainous things just because they want to. But those particular characters I've always found to be kind of lacking mm-hmm. myself, mainly because it's like, yeah, I'm evil and I'm just doing this thing just because I'm evil and, uh, this is what an evil guy would do. So fuck it. I'm going to do it. Well, that's not necessarily. And, like, I'm not necessarily saying like that's what you mean, but like yeah. I'm just saying like that archetype typically falls into like that. Yeah, they're really good at first because you know it's nice to have a guy who's just admittedly bad and they're just doing things. But then like at a certain point, it just gets to a, like, okay, I understand you're just doing it just to be doing it, but geez, you should have more depth depth than to just be doing stuff like that just because mm-hmm. you know. That's typically where I like or, like I can join into those kind of I can enjoy those kind of characters. As long as they're in, like, smaller doses, like the uh, Carnage from the Spider-Man series. He's just a serial killer who has this amazing power, and he's going to use it to just kill as many people as he can. And he shows up in his doses, and he does his thing, and then he disappears. Uh, God, I'm, try- I'm trying to think of a more modern example of, of what I mean. Because, like, you can have c- characters with good depth. This is just more of a, a personality kind of thing. Right. So what are but, you trying to what are you trying to say? I probably have an example. Like I, prob- I probably wasn't listening when you mentioned it because I was listening to bourbon. Okay, so <laughs> or so drinking bourbon. Okay, so you've seen the Disney Hercules movie, right? Yeah. Okay. So like Hades, he has a good reason for taking over Olympus. Like he's tired of being stuck in the underworld. Okay. And, and, and he he wants to sit on on something more comfortable. But mm-hmm. at the same time, he's this really fun kind of villain. Like. He when when he's calm, when he's having fun, when he's enjoying himself. You like charming villains. It's char- it's charming, but then he also just has fun with it. Like he's making like sometimes you'll see him make pop culture re- references or some or the way he makes jokes. Like the jokes that he makes aren't snarky; they're just like witty quips. Yeah. So you're talking about like a villain that no that has power, realizes that they have power, and they're using it to enjoy what they're doing. Yeah, like Loki was a little bit of this when, when in the Avengers. Um, yeah, yeah, just, yeah, no, you like charming villains, like guys who are enjoying being evil. 
Okay. They're just, like, they're, they're just, like, they are evil and they're enjoying the ride. Yeah, right. that's, yeah, that's more or less what I'm getting at. Mm. Yeah, and, and what I'm saying, when my, the point that I'm, I was going to make and that I'll continue with here is that, that those type of villains that are just enjoying the ride, I find good, but they can be lacking at times. And I've all, and I personally happen to be the character, I haven't, I personally happen to be of the opinion that a very good villain is a villain who doesn't realize that they're a villain. People who, like, and that would be like a, an example of that would be like a villain like, uh, uh, Dr. Doom. Okay? No, yeah, you like uh, villains who see themselves as the hero of their, of the situation. Right, like right. what they do so like, makes and, sense to them. Yeah, and what they, yeah, exactly. It's like for a good villain to have a good story, he's doing this because to them, in their view and in their mind, what they're really doing is for the betterment. It's the best possible option. The reason that I'm doing this is because if I don't do this, everything will go to hell. You need me as your leader. You need me to break these rules. Because if I don't, you have no idea what kind of future you will be in because you'll be too busy stuck under this law. You'll be stuck in poverty. You'll be stuck in misery. Whereas under my rule, where I granted you might not have all the quote-unquote freedoms that you have now, you'll still have more food. You'll have a place to live. Everything will be organized. Everything will be situated. Everything will be correct. And everything will be in its neat little place or whatever the case may be. As long as their purpose is something that as to them isn't evil. Because, like, for Dr. Doom, one of his key points is he's constantly trying to take over the world. And he's not taking over the world just because, you know, he has all this power and money. He just wants to do it. He, it's because in his mind, he envisions that the best possible future for the world is him being in charge because too many people are destroying the world that he cares about and that he wants to take and that he wants to take control of and make it better. No, yeah, you're absolutely, you know, <clears throat> those are actually just some of the, the best ones from me to write, too, like. It's easier to sympathize with someone who, I mean, that that's still along the lines of, like, the Magneto villain. Okay. Yeah, but, like, for Magneto, his thing is more or less, it's not like he's really a villain. He's more like a, just more of a political activist. He wants even rights for him and his people. Yeah, but for the intents of the story, he's the villain. Yeah. Well, the thing is, he's a villain because his opinion happens to contradict or go against what the quote-unquote heroes of the story go for. Whereas they want a world where they want it a particular way, he wants the world a particular way. It's just a different way from there. In a way, he, like, he's not really the villain. Like, you can easily take Magneto's story and flip it the other direction, and he could be the hero. And in a lot of portions, and, and if you think about it, in, a, in a, a lot of times, it's one man being attacked by groups of five or more people in most situations, he's the underdog in that situation, in, in that kind of, like, view, you know? Because it's just one guy just trying to do what he thinks is right, constantly being attacked by, like, six or seven or five or large groups of people constantly trying to beat him down. And majority rules, and it's constantly, it, that's usually the reason why, what ends up causing them to be the hero, because, you know, they're the majority. All right, so we've had a good chance to talk about those. Let's go ahead and because we talked a little bit at length about this. Let's go ahead and relate those to our primary three villains in ma Magic then, and just kind of how we've seen them so far. There are the Phyrexians, there's the Eldrazi, and then there's Bolas. So Eldrazi are coming up in Battle of Zendigo. Let's go ahead and talk about those. The Eldrazi really fit into that. You know, we've already compared them to the Cthulhu a aspect. You know, the whole H.P. Lovecraft, things that you can't comprehend until they actually have a physical form. And even then, it's weird. Ooh, ask Ugin. He, he would be able to explain to you. <laughs> but, you know, they, they also kind of really exemplify, you know, just this force of nature, you know? It's like the um, it's like the Attack on Titan thing, where, yes, the villains are these really huge things that are horrible for humanity because they're eating everything. But at the same time, there's no inherent evil there. Like, 
this is just how they are. Which also is tr- taken straight from Lovecraft. Attack on Titan is very inspired by Lovecraft. Yeah, like we're just yep. trying to we're just trying to survive it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And in that in this particular scenario, yes, to us from our viewpoint, they're the villains because they're higher up on the food chain than we are. And yeah. we're the heroes because we're the underdogs trying to defeat something that's trying to take us over. But the situation could easily be perceived today where, like, if you were to, say, tell a story from, like, I don't know, a, 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 a cow or a chicken's perspective, humans would be like the titan. Like, yeah, there's these creatures. They encage us. They kill us. They eat us. They do all kinds of things with our flesh. And we're trying to fight back or whatever the case may be. That doesn't necessarily mean that we're evil for doing it. It's just kind of nature versus order. Mm. Yeah. So, and then we also have the Phyrexians, who we had the set after Zendikar with Scars of Mirrodin. Now the whole... Well, technically, technically we had the Phyrexians long before Zendikar. That's actually yeah. a very interesting point. These are actually, the, from what I understand. So, so, so we need to we need to clarify this. Which yes. Phyrexians are we talking about? Are we talking right. about the original ones? Or are we talking about the new Phyrexians? Right, because there is a difference. And I'm I like to think more of about the current modern Phyrexians because these are the ones that you know newer players are going to see a little more often than Phyrexians of old. Like Phyrexians of old are just more of the straight inv- invader type stuff. Whereas with the current generation of Phyrexians, they're actually spread out throughout all five colors, and they're more about, you know, completion and assimilation. Well, both versions of the Phyrexians fall into um, the category that we put Magneto in, with a character who is trying to do what they think is right, or do what they think is what's best for people. Yeah, well, the Phyrexians, I, I wouldn't call it that, actually. The Phyrexians are more like, the Phyrexians are just a... They just, want rep- to, they just want to make you perfect, Eric. Well, you're flawed. The Phyrexians are a sentient representation of like a disease. They're like the Borg, right? right. They don't. They they don't. They aren't like operating on the same moral scale as us at all. They're just. They are spreading and assimilating because that's what their species do. They have more in common with the Eldrazi than they do with uh, Magneto. <laughs> Right. Well, it, but, but, but the thing is, the reason, the purpose for the Phyrexian is doing their spreading is because, you know, there's people out there and you're sick and you're dying and there's stuff out here that's just being wasted. And it's better if we took that waste and found a more, I don't know, effective way of using mm-hmm. it. And that waste just kind of happens to be living human flesh. So, like, the thing about Phyrexians is that Eric's right. They're on a completely different moral alignment than people are. They're like, they're, for all intents and purposes, they are just completely alien to our way of thinking. The Frexians are, are like that when they're not, when they don't have proper guidance. I mean, when they have proper guidance, they can easily be perceived as just an army that has a leader trying to perfect things. Because when yeah. Yagmoff was leader for them, basically the whole purpose for it was these things are filthy. These things are dirty. These things need to be fixed. You're sick. The best way to prevent you from having disease is to take away the thing that causes diseases. And if it's something that we can't take away, we can always find something else to use it for. It's like a mixture of like what Golgari would do. It's like we're just going to take this thing that's not working that nobody wants and just find some way to biodegrade it and alter it and make it useful. So we've also got our third major villain in Bolas. You know, we didn't. Yeah. We had a little bit of this in Calvin's, where we have like this kind of 
unpredictable-ish, but also a guy who knows how to manipulate things. But Volos is just way more than that. Volos really falls into, like, the Xanatos archetype, where we have someone who plots, who covers all the con- all of his contingencies. A man mm. who's in it purely for himself. He's the hero of his own story, but it's not a situation where, like, he thinks he's doing it for the great guy. No, Volos knows damn well that everything he does is just for him. And that's how it should be. Like, everything's for him. Yeah, exactly. And the one of the main things for Nico Bolos that a lot of people might not like be able to, a lot of our listeners may or may not know is that Bolos being a elder dragon and being damn near eternal. I mean, he's not anymore because he was a planeswalker at one point and he was eternal, but then the mending happened and he lost that ability. So a large portion of his plans now are based around finding a way to get that power back. And, the good thing for him is, is that since he is so old and he is so long lived, that he doesn't need a plan that works like today, that he puts into effect today and goes into effect and starts working next week and he's done. He has plans that are like centuries old and extensively long and he's well knowledged and well versed in multiple planes around the uni- around the uh, multiverse and because of it, there will be plenty of stories where you'll find out about wars or you'll find out about certain individuals who are working to do some type of common goal. And then in the end, it tends to be that it's a common goal because it's a plan that Nico Bolas put into effect like 10,000 years ago, a thousand years ago, or whenever the time frame he started it. And now it's starting to come to a head. Mm. Uh, what's that group? Um, uh, uh, is it the Consortium? Oh, the uh, Planeswalkers? Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to forget. Or, so, uh, or I'm not, I'm trying to remember, <laughs> trying to uh, but I forgot. Uh, yeah, but, but, the, uh, like, uh, I forget what it is, but it's in one of the books, the um, original Planeswalker book that had Jace in it. It has like Jace squirreled across the cover. Yeah, I don't even know if those guys them. still technically exist anymore. They do. Jace do they? In, they haven't Jace been retconned out of existence? No, the Jace, like, left, left, the story left, with Jace, Liliana, Tezzeret, and Bolas has, uh, has been reconfirmed as canon with just, like, reading some of the Uncharted Realms from the past weeks. Okay. Like, it's canon that Lily was working for Bolas because he brokered the deal between her and the four demons, and it's canon that she and Jace lived for a while and, and went out with lovers, and then she stabbed him in the back, metaphorically and possibly f- physically. Yeah, but uh, for any listeners out there that don't know what know what it is flavor-wise, the Consortium basically is this group of planeswalkers who travel from one plane to another to perform various tasks for a certain price. And basically what ends up coming up is like, oh, yeah, there's this scroll on Zendikar that I need, and I need you to go there, pick it up, and bring it back to Ravnica. And you'll have planeswalkers like Jace and Liliana and Tezzeret and others who all are in this consortium. And they travel to these different planes and they perform these various tasks and they come back. From my understanding, Nico Bolas was the founder of this particular group of spies. Mm -hmm. And one of the main reasons that he's created it, and this is me going by what I remember, I may be off, don't judge me. The, one of the main reasons he's created this is so that he can have planeswalkers traveling through the multiverse to set up plans for him. Other people on other planes like Alara, Zendikar, Ravnica, and wherever else that we may or may not be visiting have at one point or another had members of the consortium going there to perform some type of task, give some type of information, do some type of thing, start some type of war between rival factions or whatever the case may be. 
so a large portion of the time, like if you go back and you read the um, Uncharted Realms for like Jace, I believe it was Jace, Sandra, and Gideon. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm not really sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure, but like in those Uncharted well, Jace, Realms, like Jace, those... Sandra, and Stark are the ones who unleashed the Eldrazi lock. No, yeah. I'm not saying that. Like, I'm not saying like, yeah, there's that too. But there's like in the recent ones for the Five Flames Walkers that came out in Origins. Jace, go Sh- back, yeah. Jay, Chandra, and Gideon are the ones getting together to, like, deal with the Eldrazi thing. Yeah, but, like, if you go to the um, Magic Origins and you read the Uncharted Realms, like, about three of those five planeswalkers have stories where, oh, there's a war on their plane, or there's a reason here for mana being deprived, and there's this group of people here that's preventing this from happening, or whatever the case may be. These acts are things that could very easily be written as acts by the consortium or by Bolas or whatever the case may be in order to set that plane up for one thing or another that could potentially lead to him gaining his power back or giving him something else that he'll need to do what other task he'll need somewhere else. Mm. So if you happen to read stories and you're like on a plane, it's like, yeah, this plane is constantly at war. Don't be surprised if Nico Bolas is behind it. So card-wise... Uh, well, I, we'll probably not, probably won't have time for that. But so let's go ahead and just rank these real quick. Which of the which of these three do you like best, Eric? Uh, which of the three villains do I like best? I like the Eldrazi. The Eldrazi are scary as shit. <laughs> okay. Like uh, their are Magic's yeah, version yeah. of Cthulhu, right? So. Yep, the, the Eldrazi are pretty much monstrous. I wouldn't put them as my best, though. I personally would say like the best villains so far are the Phyrexians. So. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm actually more, more of a Phyrexian guy too. Like, there's just something about the whole Borg hive mind aspect that both terrifies and fascinates me. Like, but the, the help- main, main reason why I'm going with the Phyrexians is because um, with the Eldrazi, I don't really see them as like villains. I mean, like, granted, yeah, they are into that. They are being played up in that archetype, but I can easily see them being like just something that you have to deal with, like a tornado or a hurricane. And with Bolas. A lot of stories easily get retconned, and it's easy to just kind of stick him in there. But with the Phyrexians, one of my favorite points about them is, is that throughout the years that they've been around, there's been countless times where they've been destroyed, or people thought they got rid of them, or people have done everything they can. In fact, one of Magic's first planeswalkers, Urza, did the best that he could to try to get rid of and totally destroy the Phyrexians altogether. And multiple times, he's either ended up accidentally helping them, or getting rid of a majority of them but not enough and then it just came back even stronger all right we've got ahead and we talked about you know just villains in general just kind of really put a really good context on this because our goal for our strategy and technology segments is to help you the listener become one of these incredibly awesome villains that's right in our strategy segment today we're going to talk about being the arch enemy without really playing arch enemy stay tuned everyone we'll be right back And yes, folks, it's time for that part of the episode, the time you've all been waiting for. It's time for Calvin to take us into the home version. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to another edition of the CommanderCast home version. This week, we here at CommanderCast.com asked you a question. And the home version question was, who is your favorite villain in all of fiction? Over on Twitter, at Briefin says, I have to go with a classic, Vorath, Invoker of Wrath. And honorable mention goes to Urza, so close to becoming his greatest fear. 
at WC Power 9 says, In magic, Nicol Bolas. In all of fiction, Darth Vader, not even close. At Failure Disciple says, Hans Lander from Inglorious Bastards. And over on Facebook, we have Chris jumping in with Jack Spicer. Alex says, Yes, Lord Bolas, I will submit your wonderful name. Ron says, The Shining's version of Jack Torrance or The Napoleon of Crime, Professor James Moliarty. Eston Ben says, Handsome Jack. Igor says, Horace Lupinkoff, once grandest of all emperor's sons, turned traitor once exposed to sweet, tainted whispers of chaos. And that does it for this week's edition of the Commander Cast Home Version. Follow us on Twitter, hit us up on Facebook, and if you see the Home Version question go up, you might be on it next. See you later. And that has been our Commander Cast Home Version. Don't forget to pay attention to our Facebook and Twitter feeds as we bring this wondrous theme back so that you, the audience, can be a part of our Commander Cast episodes. And now, on to our regularly scheduled strategy segment. Alright, so... I'm sure it's happened to all of you before, especially some of you more experienced guys. You get some friends into Magic, they're new, newer players, and then they also know that you're just kind of good at this game. So you go ahead and you break out into a multiplayer game, and wouldn't you know it, because you're the most experienced at the table, everyone fears you, and they start attacking you and beating you down, to the point where it's literally just three or four on one, and that's not fun times. But... You can turn it into one with our how-to guide in Villainy. And joining us for that very specific task is Eric. So Eric, you know what's like being the guy that everyone just locks onto at the table. Let's go ahead and talk about that, shall we? This is like 90% of what I do. Like 10% of games I don't get locked onto. And it's usually because I keep my head down while I let someone accidentally make themselves a target. But other than that... Like, I'm almost always the target. But I play stuff like Prosh and Perforos, which kill the entire table all at once. So they have a pretty decent reason for attacking me. Right, so that's a good place to start. Let's go ahead and talk about, you know, just commander choice. We have commanders who are very strong and have reputations for being mm. very strong. You know, Zer and Earl are very powerful ones. Perforos is a more recent one. Prosh also, you know... I'm in the room. In her 99 mountains. Well, Everyone fears those ninety nine mountains. Hey, that was one of the, that was one of the best games that we had for the Roto Draft. But you know, these are commanders that just kind of say, "Hey, I'm going to do really, some really powerful things. Fear me." Like there are there are commanders where people will target you because you're pl- because you're playing like a really I, I don't necessarily want to say oppressive kind of commanders. You know, Gaddick Teague in certain metas or Grant Arbiter, you know, Dexter is designed to just kind of make everyone miserable. That's not necessarily what I want to talk about, per se. You know, if you want to play just kind of a griefer deck, then you're less of the villain that we, were, that we want to talk about, and more of the, you're just that asshole who's keeping people from playing the game they want to play. Unless you, exactly. Unless your playgirl happens to be okay with that kind of thing, in, in which case, swing your dick away. It's uh, it's easy to be the villain, but it's hard to be the villain and make it fun. It's hard to be the super villain, is what we're going for. You know, okay. Oh, Megamind. Megamind would have been a great th- villain to talk about. Because it's all about, again, it's about the presentation. Like, our goal here is to turn pe- is to help give you a primer on becoming a villain who helps create stories. Like a lot of the decks that Eric plays. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, probably the easiest thing is to just lay out some hard and fast rules for making a good, like, heel deck, I guess is the wrestling term. That's right, Calvin, right? 
That's right, the heel. And so, like, in order to make a game where everyone's going to be ganging up on you, but it can still be fun for everyone involved, uh, it it's it can be kind of daunting if you just think of it in the grand scheme of things, but there there's a couple guidelines that'll help you get through it relatively simply. And the first thing is don't play a control deck. And this is very, very important, so I'm going to rephrase it in another way. Allow your opponents to fight back. So I know there's a, there's a lot of uh, talk on Commander Cast, mostly my fault, about, like, Eric hates blue, blah, 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 blah. But, like, you, I'm not saying don't play blue. I'm saying don't play counterspells. <laughs> because they're... That's right. Punch those out in the face. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that you... If you... I'll, 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 I'll illustrate this with an example. I used to play a Yoira deck. And my Yoira deck was very, very powerful. I would suspend an Eldrazi for a couple turns, and then I'd blow up the entire planet. And then once I'd done that, the Eldrazi would resolve, and I'd immediately win the game. So I was once playing a game where I suspended Kozlek. And I was waiting, and I was waiting, and I was waiting. And then for those four turns that Kozlek was suspended, everyone was scrambling to find a solution to stop me from winning the game with that Kozlek. And then someone finally did on the turn Koslik was going to resolve. So Koslik is about to come out, and my opponent goes, Orem's Chant. And I go, Counterspell. And everyone at the table scooped. So part, part of the fun in being a villain is losing sometimes. So you have to play cards that are big and impressive and sometimes oppressive, and you have to get in everyone's face, and you have to uh, make them play around you, but you still have to let them play. So playing cards that prevent your opponents from participating in the game will not allow anyone to have any fun. So don't play infinite extra turns. If you're playing Narset or Maelstrom Wanderer, I want to take a million extra turns. This isn't the deck for you. Uh, or this isn't the archetype for you, I should say. Don't play a lot of counter spells. You can play a couple, but don't make yourself a control deck. Again, you can play some sweepers, but don't play sweeper dot deck. And just try and play stuff that gets in everyone's face and makes them answer you, but let them have the opportunity to answer you. Yeah, because again, we're looking to interact with people. We're not looking to shut everything down until we've got the wincon on board. Exactly, exactly. So I'll give you a good example. Blasting Station? is not a good card for this, because Blasting Station is a card that's basically designed for people to go infinite with. Uh, you can tap it to deal one damage, and you can do it to a bunch of people over the course of the game, uh, And but mostly someone's going to end up playing it with, like, Tesa and a uh, Bad Moon, and then, like, or not Bad Moon, Darkest Hour, and then everyone loses, and it's not any fun. However, playing a card like Price of Progress is perfectly acceptable. Price of Progress is, on average, it's a two-mana instant. It's in red, and it deals damage to each player equal to twice the number of non-basics they control. So uh, on any given Sunday, it's going to deal like 8 to 12 damage to everyone at the table. And if you just play that card, that's fine, because it's in everyone's face, and it's super brutal, and everyone wants to kill you now, but you're allowing them to fight back. And if you've killed someone with that spell, that means they were already relatively low on health to begin with. So it's not the same as playing infinite combos or canceling people out with, like, pillow fort decks or something like that. Just don't play something where your opponents feel like they never had a chance. Right. 
you know, we were talking about, you know, the blasting station thing. You know, there's something to be said about, you know, playing two three-card combos, just in particular. Like, you've got your Dead Eye Navigator and your stupid drag thing that untaps five lands, and you make Infinite Man, and now your third combo piece is, like, in Sanguigate or something. Those aren't really as fun unless your meta is just tuned to dealing mm-hmm. with, the, with those types of combos. What gets to be a little fun, though, is when you start coming up with, like, the crazy five-card-plus combos. Like, right now, I'm working on turning my Sidri deck into just kind of this value engine deck where the theme is, okay, I want to get the Doom Machine together. And the combo that I have in mind takes, like, four to six cards to actually get together just because there's so many different moving pieces. Okay, well, there is... The answer to whether that's acceptable is tricky because it's acceptable only if your opponents can see it coming. So if you have a combo deck based around your general and everyone knows what the combo is, for example, Teferi Knowledge Pool, and you play Knowledge Pool one turn and then you pass the turn, it is more acceptable to give people an opportunity to answer it and then play your Teferi than if you were to, say, use your Sidri deck and assemble your five-card combo, but it was all with pieces that no one saw coming because no one has ever seen anyone combo with these, even though that's more original and fun in some ways. As far as, like, being the heel goes, it's less fun to win out of nowhere against your opponents. Right. Like, at least with the Sidri deck, when you start playing it regularly in your playgroup, you know, as long as you're not vomiting all the pieces out at once, like, you intentionally make the deck a little less efficient so you can't do that. But it's like, okay, he's got one piece down, or he's got two pieces down. Okay, we need to start sniping these pieces. And then it becomes kind of a back-and-forth fight between, okay, we don't want you to have this thing. No, I want to have the thing. Well, that brings me to rule number two, actually, which is announce your presence. People should not have to play three games against the deck to know you're going to be the heel. So my rule for this is that if you don't do something to get in everyone's face by around turn four, you probably, and that's a consistent problem, you should probably reconsider the deck uh, for two big reasons. One, if you want to play villain at the table, you want to do it early so that the game can be about people playing around you and playing against you. And the second problem is because a villain deck doesn't necessarily win a lot because people are going to gang up on you hard. And you want your curve low enough that you can play in the game without necessarily hoping to last till the long game. Yep, no, Kali is a perfect example of that. Mm. Because, like, it's... If you get ganged up on and you die before turn six, you never get to play your Titan. So, it's one of those things where you you have to plan to ramp accordingly, or you have to just have a lower curve deck in order to get the most... uh most bang for your buck when it comes to playing an individual game. The last rule's pretty simple. So the first one, first one was, uh, oh crap, what was the first one again? First one was, we don't talk about, we don't talk about Fight Club. That's rule number one. First one was don't play control or allow, allow your opponents to play. The second one was announce your presence. So play a low curve and get in people's face early. And the third one, and this is real important, be okay with losing. If you are turning the entire table against yourself, unless your deck is running perfectly, and sometimes it is going to run perfectly and you are going to win, uh, but a lot of the times they're going to gang up, they're going to answer what you're doing, and they're going to beat you to death. And you have to be okay with that. You have to not act like a, a dick every time you lose just because the whole table ganged up on you when you're playing a deck that causes the whole table to gang up on you. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, uh, as far as my views for it are concerned, like, I can understand, like, you know, playing control, no one wants to do that when they're the villain in this particular uh, discussion. 
like playing control and playing the combo deck that goes off immediately. Yeah, no one wants that because that's not fun for the group. You might win more of a bunch of games and stuff, but we're talking about things to making you the villain that people want to play against as opposed to that jerk that constantly plays that deck that nobody likes. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, I would have to say that there's, like, several types of decks out there that you might think about getting into. Like, if you're going with combo, you might want to go with, like, a diluted combo where it's like, yeah, everybody sees it coming. Everyone sees you're trying to assemble the the cauldra. Everybody knows what you're doing. So they can at least be able to, like, pinpoint out what you're going for. Yeah. If you are playing control, you're not playing it to the point where you're countering everything. But I would say, like, uh, a, a good example for a deck that could be very villainous is playing politically. Uh... Because, but hear me out. There's a particular deck, and a friend of mine recently had built it. It's a black-white deck. And the premise for the deck is, is that he always has cards that do things that hurt everybody at the table, except for a specific individual. So this way, he can constantly be able to try to pull, like, the villainous, like, all right, this card destroys enchantments, and my deck allows me to get this card back. But I can only do it if someone will allow me to get this card back. I'm going to ask the person who has no enchantment, hey, is it possible that you could allow me to get this card back? Thereby kind of, like, pissing off, like, the person with the enchantments, but kind of, like, playing politically enough where everyone knows what you're doing. But it's just kind of like, it's kind of difficult to make that choice, you know? Because on the the one hand, you're helping them out, but on the other hand, you're kind of screwing someone else. Go ahead. If you're playing the villain of the table and you're doing it properly, no one should be willing to cut you a deal. No one should Mm -hmm. be willing to give, let up or give you any slack. Yeah, but see, here, here, here's where me and Eric, like, differ in our view of playing, like, the villain. Like, his villain is mostly like, yeah, I'm doing this, I'm going to do this. Everyone at the table, if you're not thinking about taking me out, you really should. Where my version of what a villainous deck would be, like, stri- uh, strategy-wise would be, yeah, I'm doing a bunch of heelish, villainous things. But in the same token, everybody kind of wants to keep me in the game because I could potentially do something that might be, quote-unquote, nice for you. I'm not really. I'm really doing it because I'm doing this for me. And you're more like of a pawn that I'm using. My, like, like a political deck in his view would be kind of like playing like as Nico Bolas in a way at the table. Yeah, you're putting in a bunch of seeds here and there and waiting to see what grows to help you. Whereas like Eric's villainous deck is like, oh shit, there's the Eldrazi. Get him. So like the thing that you're, remember, the thing that we're trying to talk, to describe here is, you know, super villainy. Like, villainy is kind of a broad term. Like, I could consider my freaking deck a villain-esque deck just because I'm playing kind of the Xanatos Gambit stuff where I'm sitting in the background and manipulating things from behind the scenes and I'm trying to set up situations where no matter what happens, I still win. But that's not nearly as fun as just having the loud, powerful pre- presentation of here is Prosh or Kalia or in some playgroups, even Titania now. Like, when you come down, you gotta like rock it out loud, man. Like you gotta be able to strut your stuff. Like we're talking big yeah, but, like, bad things here. Like we're talking Godzilla yeah, but, side level. Yeah, but what I'm saying here is, is that like I understand where you're going with that. Like that that's an option. That is an option. Like you can be like the bear hug Rakdos player who's doing things. It's like, yeah, I'm doing this because you know what? Screw you guys. Not because like, you know, I don't like you, just because this is the game I kind of want to play in, in order to Fine enjoyment. Am I going to lose? Yeah, you're all going to gang up on me. You're going to get rid of me so I can get so I can get this chokehold off the table that I've currently got. 
But in the same token, I'm going to do everything I can to like prevent that without actually, which while allowing you to still be able to interact with me. So I can see like that, like, you know, playing the big bombs, playing the big spells, going for the Eldrazi with the Jura deck and not countering anything because, you know, hey, they they did their best. They finally got to it. And I get that because that's like a deck where it's like you're playing it to a, a like you're basically playing it in a way to reward your play group for finding a way to stop you. Mm. And then there's other villainous decks where it's like you're basically playing um what is it a uh, 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 assassin is that what it is? Uh, how what, do you mean? Uh, th- there's another format out there where everybody gets a particular card. Someone's a king, two people are knights, and someone's an assassin or something oh, like that. Oh yeah. You know, you're kind of like playing like this behind the scenes, manipulative, trying to convince everybody to kill somebody for you or doing things. Mm. And for me, like, you know, I understand like, you know, like, yeah, there's the, there's the big splashy villain deck that you can play. Like, yeah, here's the combo. I'm letting you know this is what the combo is. And if you don't stop it, you're all going to die. And that's cool. That's perfectly acceptable in this particular case because, you know, your play group would be doing what they can to scramble to look for their naturalizes or to get their creatures or to get their prevention spells up before you kill them. And I think that politically, I think that with just being a social group and being a social format, a political villain deck is also something that we can't just, like, shy over. It's also a valid option. Not saying that you're countering everything, but, like, say, for instance, you're playing... uh uh, Guafa Hazid. Mm-hmm. You know, you're basically making bribes. You're playing, you're doing deals. You're doing underhanded stuff. Everybody knows you're doing it and you're offering people things in order to give them temporary, let's just say safety for something, but not necessarily like, you know, openly just coming out there and cackling maniacally the entire way through. The problem with those decks is that they work once, and that when everyone uh, has seen it happen once, no one like no one deals with you ever again. Yeah, what I'm saying is, is that I'm not saying that it's like the thing that you're doing it as a consistent thing. It's just more like a kind of like a group like group hug can be mm-hmm. considered kind of a villainous deck where you're quote unquote helping people. Hold on, Calvin. But not to the extent of group Calvin. hug where you're ruining the game. Well, hold on, Eric. Did you listen to uh, Mark's deck tech spotlight? Where he was interviewing someone about their uh, Feldegrip deck? Uh, no, not yet. Why? Okay, that one that one's kind of the epitome of what Calvin's talking about here. It's this political wheeling and deering deck that's based off of Varys from Game of Thrones. Where it's okay. Like, where it's like, okay, you're doing all this political wheeling and dealing where you come out ahead and you're cutting deals with people, but at the same time you're doing it in such a way that you're... It's it's weird. Like, like we like it's something similar to what we ha- used to have in our meta, where we had a guy who played Zedru. And his okay. win condition was Molten Psyche reverberated like three or four times. And theoretically, that kind of deck should only, again, should only work once because, oh, you're cutting deals with me where we can draw cards and I get a spell book and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll just go ahead and kill you first. Nobody ever killed him first. Like, it's, it's weird. Like, people are so happy just playing with him and drawing cards that they just don't kill him. Like, he got back to me recently because he's been going on judge tours, like just going to all sorts of GPs. And he has mm. never lost with that deck on the on the road because people see it for the first time. They're like, oh, we go, it's fine. He's just laying his draw cards, and they never see the combo coming. You are absolutely right about that aspect. But even when he comes back, we tell people what the combo is. We're like, look out for the Molten Psyche combo. Like, this, that's how he wins. And he'll admit to it straight up. But nobody ever tries to kill him. It's one of the most exactly. amazing things. Because, like, cause the, whole, the whole purpose for that particular political deck is, is that yeah, you're letting every, you're like, you just flat out tell everybody, this is the win condition that's in this deck. This is how I win. 
I'm letting you know this now, because if you don't pay attention, I'm going to win. But between then and now, how's about I let you draw some cards? Okay, I'm going to do this. I'll offer you some removal for this creature in exchange for that. And a lot of play groups would prefer to have a guy like that around because, you know, like some people, they just like to draw cards. And to them, it's kind of like having like a world enchantment that's on the board. It's just doing all this amazing stuff for everybody, and it's kind of there. You don't want it to go away because if it does, then you lose this card draw, you lose this. And while he's helping you, in your mind, you're like, well, he's helping, but, you know, I'm just going to kill him in a moment after I draw this next card. Oh, wait, you've won? Fuck. Maybe I should have killed you last turn. Okay. You know, and it, it, and it's not like necessarily saying that it's like the, the like the, like if we're going with super villains, where like, what Eric is describing is like the big stompy, I'm going to destroy the world supervillain. Where the supervillain deck that I'm describing, which is like more political, is more like Lex Luthor. He's back there. He's willing. He's dealing. He's not getting his hands dirty. But at the end of the day, he's going to be the one who profits the most. Mm. Okay. And, you know, you can easily still tell them that you're going to do this, but, you know, you just kind of have to build your deck correctly for the strategy to work. Okay, and so I wouldn't suggest, like, having it be, like, infinite turns or, you know, like, as Eric uh, said earlier, putting a bunch of counter spells in there. Okay. You know, just, you know, kind of like having, like, the one good win condition. Talent. Let's go ahead and get away from just kind of the more subtle and political decks again. Because, again, we're looking at, at the super villain decks. Like, not just the villain decks, but the super villain decks. And I really like what Eric, what Eric about has the laid people out. that just want to watch the world burn? <laughs> I mean, that is part of being a super villain. Like, you can have, like, the Perforos or the Zozu deck where you're... So what you're saying is a chaos deck? Not necessarily a chaos deck. Because I want to watch the world burn. The chaos deck falls... burns into... the world better than Warp World. No, Calvin. Burning the world oh, like that equivalates to the you're not letting people play kind of thing. It's fine to have Possibility Storm to mess with other people's strategies. Like, that's fine. Like, I can tell, like, when we get the Nico Bolas arc, uh, Entourage later, I'm actually, Possibility Storm is actually on my list of things to include because it messes up with everyone else's game plan, but you can play it asymmetrically enough where you still benefit from it. With just the Chaos deck, when you go into, okay, we have to resolve Thieves Auction and Warp World and a bunch of other stuff, where you're basically playing Norn wants to make your life miserable, that deck, that still falls into, that still breaks that first rule where it's like, okay, people just can't play Magic and no one's actually having fun with this. Which again, if your meta's actually okay with that, then more power to you. We're talking about just, in general, you're probably meeting people for the first time kind of thing. The right. only, the only card that my, uh, my friend had problems with in my Norin deck was confusion in the ranks. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of a really powerful effect. Mm-hmm. So, like, let's go ahead and talk about each of those in a, just a little bit more detail. We're, we've already kind of gone over the first one with that tirade. So the second one, making your presence known, which, okay, Callan's already provided the counterpoint to that. But are there other ways to just kind of do that without playing, like, just kind of the low aggressive curve deck? Um, there's a couple ways to go about it. Um, uh, low, ag- low cost cards is the best way to do it. Like low cost cards that impact the battlefield just so people know to deal with you, kind of, is the first thing. To make it, uh, to make yourself visibly setting up for something, again, requires low cost cards, but that works too. Uh, another way is just having a really, really big scary general that no one wants to resolve and be visibly setting up for it. So if you're like Mimeoplasm, and you're dumping stuff into your graveyard, or milling your opponents, 
that's a good way to do it. Uh, if you are, I'm trying to think, if you have like a big nasty general with haste, like Karthus or Maelstrom Wander, and you're just like slowly building up the mana for it. Atark, then, Atark is a great example of that. Atark is a good Atark, one too. Um, yeah, so just like, just, if you don't have a reputation going onto the table, then the best way to do it is to play cards early that kind of poke everyone and give everyone a reason to hit you. Uh, and it's more effective if you play, like, permanents that do it. Like a creature that's going to hassle everyone, like Zozu the Punisher, or uh, an enchantment, uh, like Painful Quandry or something like that. Something that's going to make the entire table be like, okay, I don't just have to hit this guy because he hurt me. I have to hit this guy because if I don't, he's going to keep hurting me. Yep. Uh, another thing to kind of like add to that point is you want to try to stay away from commanders that might be perceived as like goofy. Mm. Like using like, the Atog uh, to hide your five color combo deck thing. Yeah. You don't want to like, uh, yeah, you're using a Togatog because you're building on a Togatog deck. You want to stay away from like, uh, I would, I'm not sure. Maybe Lord of Treasure Horn might be a good. Cre- uh, legendary creature to bring up here because a lot of people will see it and they'll be like, oh man, that is just going to hurt you a lot and I'm not going to care if you play it. So it doesn't put the target directly on you. And he, and depending on how you build a deck, there's a great episode of Rivals Duel that's in our archives right now where Eric and Noel build a, go through the beginnings of a building of a Lord of Treasurehorn deck. And, you know, it can, it can be a deck where when constructed correctly, can be very villainous, but the, ma- mm. the vast majority of metas are going to see him and they're going to laugh at you and they're not going to waste time on you because you're obviously the new player who doesn't know what the hell they're doing and you just picked the Lord Treasure because you wanted the colors. Now right. when game two and three comes around, they're going to know, no, hell no, it's like, fuck that deck. We got to kill him. He's going to kill us with Lord of fucking Treasure Horn. Yeah, the, 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 Bra- the Blue Braids, the Blue Braids deck that Andy yeah. used to play. That's a good example yeah. of it too. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's a deck where it's like people will like look at the card, look at the commander, and it's like, eh, I don't see a threat at all in that particular legend. All right, so let's go ahead and talk about that third part part then to kind of wrap this up. Being okay with losing. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people playing these villain-type decks, and then once everyone starts getting up on them to keep them down, you know, they start complaining and bitching and stuff like that, and then they still play the deck later, or... Just, ugh. Don't be that guy. Because that's the thing that's going to ruin the experience for what could otherwise be a fine game. Like, I'm fine with people, with these guys playing these highest power decks. I just have to make sure that my decks are tuned to, to that right power level so that I can actually interact with them. Like, these aren't super power decks. Like, it's not the super hyper uh, Mimeoplasm deck. But it's still a very effective and efficient Mimeoplasm deck. Mm-hmm. But this, but it kind of ruins the triumph when he's all salty and complaining and just yeah, you guys get the yeah, you guys get the picture. Right. Well, the thing for that is, is that this if you're the kind of person where you find it difficult, where you're constantly playing because you want to win like every game, then this segment and this episode probably will not benefit you in any particular way. Because you're going to end up getting salty and you're end up, going to end up getting upset because you're going to be drawing a lot of excess heat that you will have to just accept. It just comes as a part of this particular territory. But if you're the kind of person where you like playing decks and you want to try to play a deck that can win, but it's mostly just there for the experience and you're mostly there for the fun. You're doing this not because you want to win, but you're going to want to bring this experience to your playgroup. 
then it'd be easier for you to lose because you'll be under the impression that like, ah, well, like any good 80s TV show cartoon villain would be like, I'll get you next time. And you just have to learn how to like just smile, shake your fist at the hero and then just accept your loss. Mm. But like if you just can't do that, then it becomes kind of difficult because, you know, you're going to constantly want to because you're going to lose and you're going to go home. You're going to improve your deck and then you're going to start getting into that territory where you're playing the control deck or the two piece combo deck or the constantly winning deck. These villainous decks that we're describing are mostly designed as can you win? Yes. If the table doesn't do anything to stop you, of course you can win. Well, it's not even if people try and stop you. It's if you don't, if the entire table isn't focused on just brickwalling you, right? Because like you can, because having people try and stop your plans is actually just normal magic. Exactly, and having people just like stopping your plans, it just happens normally. But as the villain, you're the person who's trying to draw all the attention towards you to have like in in most commander games, you want to be the last man standing or the second best at the game so you can win, right? Right. But with this particular type of deck, you don't want to be that guy. You want to be the guy that everybody focuses on. The guy that typically gets knocked out first in most games, that's the role you're trying to aim for. You're not trying to win from second. You're trying to win from last. Basically. I mean, we've talked about before about, you know, games just essentially becoming arch enemy. And that's pretty much what we're talking about. We're talking about games becoming arch enemy, except you don't have the benefit of having a broken stack of 20 triggers. At your back Unless, of course, your play group allows you to have it, in which case, then, you know, go ahead and do that. Enjoy. Oh, I can't wait to break out the Arch Enemy schemes ne- next time I go back to my play group. What Whenever do, I tried to use them, they ended up being way too overpowered. Yeah, that's, that's the problem if you pick... That's part of the problem with some of them. I try to make sure that I have, like, a percentage of, of mandated ba- bad or not effective schemes so that they have a chance... Now, you see what you do with the Arch Enemy schemes is that you get those oversized sleeves, you sleeve up a bunch of the plane chase, the plane cards, and you sleeve up the Arch Enemy schemes, you shuffle them together and put them into a pile. And then you use the Arch Enemy schemes like pandemoniums. Hmm. Not like the, not the phenomenon, like the phenomenons. Phenomena. Do, 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 do. That way, like, once you, like, like, once you hit it, like, whoever rolled the chaos and warped and went to the next planes, up, oh, he hit an arch enemy scheme, that player gets to play that arch enemy scheme, and he gets all the benefits from it. I do and kind of want to see what, to the next I do kind of want to see what the super villain showdown format looks like, where just everyone gets arch enemy schemes. It's very, it's like, uh, that just I don't sounds know, it, it's kind of like flipping a coin to decide who wins every turn. I mean, you don't let people get custom. Arch enemy schemes, or even just like get the pick them out. Like, let's just admit that there are schemes that you should not play at all because of how busted they are. Like the one that lets you play three schemes or or extra turns or tutor stuff. Like, no. Like, basically any of the promo schemes, maybe one of the super powerful schemes. All right, and that's kind of been our strategy for you know just arch villainy. Like, remember, people, the difference between a villain and a supervillain is the presentation. So, speaking of presentations, we're going to go on to our technology segment, which will be our last segment for the day, and we're going to do a flavor entourage of one of the most iconic villains of magic, Nicol Bolas. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. Okay, William, you have, like, way too many cards. What? Like, I, I do not know how to explain to you that you have too many cards. 
I mean, I'm not going to list them all, but just... Calvin has three, uh, I have four, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, plus... Well, hold, on, hold on, let me break them down into into category type stuff, then. You you shouldn't have to break them down into categories. So what's going to happen here, Eric, is, is that we're going to go into William's thing and we're going to steal his cards. I don't, don't want to steal his cards. I like my cards. <laughs> The last time we did a flavor entourage with Liliana, heretical healer, we actually ended up having a lot of fun with it. So I wanted to do the same thing with Nicol Bolas. So we're going to go ahead and try and create a Bolas flavored deck by suggesting some some cards. And the first one I want to go ahead and mention because it is also just a really powerful effect: Possibility Storm, with just whatever flavor of do- top deck manipulation you want you want to do. Because here's the thing about Possibility Storm: it ruins you know just actually crafted battle plans without necessarily shutting out people. You know, sometimes it, it, it's weird because it, sometimes they'll have a deck composition that does get shut down. But on the other hand, there are people who actually enjoy Possibility Storm for some reason. I can still be playing Possibility Storm in my Nekazar deck because I skew it towards my deck. Because I can actually build a deck around it. For example, all of the instants are counterspells. So if there's something that I actually need to counter and Possibility Storm is on the field, then I just go ahead and cast any instant and know that a counter spell is going to come out the other side, which works very well with the Bolas plan. It's simultaneously messing everyone else up, and your game plan is completely unaffected. So next up, Calvin. Calvin, what's something that you want to suggest for our Bolas deck? Calvin? Calvin, are you there? Oh no, Calvin got dropped from the call. He ran away. Well, he's going to be trying to come back, so I'll read it off. Reality Strobe. For four blue blue, you have a sorcery that says return target permanent to its owner's hand. Exile reality strobe with three time counters on it. And it also has suspend for two and a blue. So you can go ahead and suspend it and then in three turns you'll get to caps. It's bas it's pretty ugh. it's basically capsize that comes back every third turn to bounce something. Did you just mm-hmm. get my card, you bastard? No, you cut off. All right. Hold on. All right. All right. So, Calvin, your pick is Reality Strobe, which is basically capsize with suspend, and will keep capsizing. Yep, so it's a Reality Strobe. Basically, it just suspends itself. It comes back every three turns. It does its thing, bounces a permanent, and then returns back to suspension to come back in another three turns. Now, typically, in order for you to get more effect out of this, the game has, you're, if you're lucky, you'll get, like, maybe two to three uses out of it without, like, you know, counter manipulation or upkeep manipulation or something of that nature. And there's two other suspend cards that I wanted to also include into this. William, can you read off the black and the red one for me, since my internet is acting like a little bitch? Yep, give me just one moment to, so I can check it out. Arcblade is okay. the red I, I, I know I, I know what they do. I just need the names. Arcblade is the red one. So Arcblade is basically a red spell. It has suspend three. It suspends itself. It comes back in, does two damage to target creature or player, and then does the same thing that the other one was doing. And you get a chance to use that again. And the black one does minus one, minus one to all of your opponent's creatures. And the name for that one is William. Well, the black one is Festering March. Yeah, yeah. And between these three spells, if you get all three of them suspended, and one thing I've always found kind of interesting about them is if you get them suspended on alternate, um, alternating turns, you'll get one every turn. 
So every turn, you'll either be burning something for two or bouncing something or getting minus one, minus one to everything else. That's not yours, of course, because, you know, you're the villain here. And over the course of extremely long games, you'll get a lot of uses out of them. But once you start including other things into the deck that can manipulate suspend counters, or if you put things in there like a paradox haze to alter the beginning of the upkeeps and stuff like that, they'll be coming back in more frequently, and you get to use other things like copy enchantments. And depending on how you decide to build the deck, you can get these things to go off every turn. Which, to me, is something that really falls into, like, it, yes, it's time magic, and Nico Bolas is not, is not a time magic user, but he does have a tendency to have a lot of plans that take a long amount of time to come to fruition. And these particular cards, like, if you don't get anything going on where they can continuously happen every turn, fine. But Nico Bolas would just be using them anyway as, like, future investments. Yeah, I just... That's a really cool cycle to find. Like, I knew about the, um, I think it was, what was it? It wasn't necessarily, it wasn't the balanced one, but there was one that said people couldn't cast spells like that. It was something like, I knew about the white one. There's, uh, there's one for each color. Like, the white one, I believe, is the, um, one you're talking about where it prevents spells from casting. And the green one, I believe, is just like a, it's either a pump spell or a ramp spell. I'm pretty sure it's a pump spell, though. I don't really play with the white or the green one that often, so I don't really know them offhand. Uh, it's chromatic re- escape until your next turn creatures can't attack you. Okay, so yeah, so the white one prevents, like, attacking. It's like a temporary fog. And the and then, green yeah, one... Cyclical, the green one is a giant growth. Yep. But, like, yeah, that's a really cool cycle. That really fits into just my whole image for how, how I personally see Bolas, where he's like, Aha! I knew 17 turns ago that you would come out with this thing, so I suspended this thing, not to deal with those things that happened in the three intervals before that, but for this moment. Aha! Yeah, like those other things were just kind of casualties of my futuristic plans. Actually, if you listen to Squirecast, they have a running joke about how Bolas has to overcomplicate everything he does to the point where he can't make an omelet without having a 10,000-year scheme in the process to create that specific omelet. I could easily see that happening. (laughs) Man, that better be a a tasty-ass omelet. (laughs) You invest 10,000 years in an omelet, that thing better have bacon and cheese and avocados on top. Like, this better be the best omelet that has ever been made. Oh, you see, I knew that in September of 2017, I would be in an omelet mood. So I already invested into a small poultry farm, which produced the right kind of chicken to produce the eggs for said omelet while also ruining all the other dairy franchises so that my favorite dairy franchise could take over, and it goes on. So, ba- so basically what you're saying is is that they're like um, Big Rico's Pizza from Night Vale, because nobody makes a slice <laughs> like Big Rico's. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, Eric, what's your first card for our Bolas Entourage? Uh, My first card, since I... I weirdly thought that I should actually be picking cards that, I don't know, had something to do with Nicol Bolas. Uh, I picked one of the best reasons to play Grixis, and it's a card called Slave of Bolas. And it is, uh, I believe it costs five. It costs uh, one. Let me look up the exact casting cost on it right now. No, it is five. Yeah, it's five. And is it a black and then a red or blue hybrid? Yeah. Yes. And then uh, three colorless. Look, I'm pulling it all from memory. It's a sorcery. 
Look at me go. And uh, what it, it what it basically is is it is a act of treason. But uh, you untap the creature, it gains haste, you gain control of it until end of turn. But then it also kills it at the end of the turn. So it's an automatic removal spell, but you get to use the creature first. It is one of the most criminally underplayed cards in Grixis. It is a super powerful swing, and if you take any opponent's bomb with it, you're going to completely ruin their day. Like. Think of any creature that costs six or more that's in your commander deck, and you play it on the battlefield. This is the last thing you want to happen to it. Oh man, remember when Primeval Titan wasn't banned? Well, just think about it now. Like, let's say you have, uh, I don't know, anything. A Gisela, a, uh, Elishnorn, a, uh, what else? Rush. Prosh, yeah. You don't want you don't want your opponent taking your prosh and then swinging at you with it because you have no way to block it because all you have is kobolds, and then it blows and itself it, it up so you never get to use right? it. It only takes creatures, correct? It only takes creatures because the, the creature then sacks itself. Yeah, too bad. Too so bad. It, it is a very very powerful effect. It's not like zealous conscripts that can't take any permanent, but for nabbing, it, it is a removal spell with uh, I want to use I want to borrow this quick before I throw it away. It's very very good. So uh, it, if you can get a way to make an instant speed, you could steal someone's Gideon when they animate it. Yep. So while we're kind of on that train of zealous conscript and save a bolus, I get to play with your things now. That's actually the next category I had, because I had listed cards like Blatant Thievery, Knowledge Exploitation, cards that let you turn your opponent's things against them. Like, one of the cool things about Bolas is that he does have that ability to just kind of redirect and turn people's greatest strengths against them. Like, in his fight with Ugin, Ugin's sicking all of the dragons of Tarkir on Bolas. But because Bolas is prepared, he goes, yeah, no, magic enchantment activate. Okay, now all the dragons are attacking Ugin, and ultimately that's what kills Ugin. Bolas turning his dragons against him. So, like, you can have, like, your wild ricochets, your redirects, you can have your, I'm going to look through your deck and play stuff with, like, Praetor's Grasp. Just a lot of cards like that play really well into the Grixis deck. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's one good thing about, like, uh, one of the things about Bolas, because if you look at his, like, Planeswalker card, and while granted it's just, like, a quick glimpse into Bolas's view, he takes things, and whatever he can't take and control, he'll destroy. And whatever, and basically, because of his abilities to just kind of, like, manipulate things and take over people's, like, um, minds or find ways to convince people to do something for him, like, control magic is right there within his wheelhouse. So, that's also, like, a good place to put, like, a confiscate. Like, um, would mind control work here as well? I mean, there's mind control, but there's also, like, there's a black one. Enslave. Enslave, Enslave. yeah. Yeah, there we go. Go with enslave. Don't go with mind control if you're playing with Bolas, because mind control, because, like, Nickel Bolas, while granted does have, is an elder dragon, he does kind of have some mind magic. It's very rare that he actually, like, takes over your mind. He might, like, get in there and, like, leave some suggestions for you, but he doesn't really, like, just take the mind. He's not a mind taker, and he enslaves you. Mostly. And that's kind of what he's done to most people. Like, my control magic typically falls to, like, Jace. Mm. Uh, So, you want to go ahead and go on to uh, your next suggestion, Calvin? Okay. Well, well, seeing as how we are talking about, like, Jace and mind control magic and things that Nico Bolas has done, 
a group of cards that you could potentially toss into here with to be flavor wise is some of Jay, some of Nico Bolas's planeswalker friends he's convinced to do his dirty work for him. That would be like Tezzeret, Liliana the Veil, not like Liliana Vest, Tezzeret, Jace, uh, Sarkin the Mad, because you can't use Sarkin Vol because he's red green, and you can't use the other Sarkin because he's red, blue, and green, and they're not and- in the right color schemes. The there's mono red Sarkin, but that's when he's all defiant of Bolas and stuff. Yeah, yeah, but just Bolas is still in his head, whispering and in the back of his ear. So, well, there is that. Know. So you know, he's kind of like sitting on his shoulder, telling him, "You should really go back in time and kill Ugin for me." Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'm on my next card then. Yep. In the theme of slaves to Bolas, uh, I have a card named Rakamar, which. I thought it is another underrated card, but in addition to that, it also is, um, it's got one of the coolest flavor texts ever. It's a quote from Nicol Bolas saying, the best slaves have slaves of their own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, Rakamar is a four mana, two, two legendary creature with haste. And she has an ability, it's pay one red and tapper, and she makes a three, one red elemental with haste. Now, at first, I looked at this card, and I'm like, eh, this card's all right. I don't think it's super great. And then when I uh, saw some people trying to play her as their general, I got that confirmed for me. I was like, eh, I don't think it's super good. Then I realized that if you don't see the, like every other card with haste, if you don't see this coming, it makes it a lot worse. So, Rakamar, I've played in some other decks, and if your opponent doesn't have a way to kill her as a 2-2 right away then she'll just stick around and keep pumping out three ones with haste, and it, it's a real problem for people to deal with eventually, especially if you have anything that triggers on people entering the battlefield or a skull clamp or anything like that. She's a super, super good way to keep uh, getting value in red. Like an orcish, orcish battle driver? Like they mm-hmm. show up and they get that extra pump and they turn into, like, what, five ones? Or Perforos or Impact Tremors yep. or... Uh, War Storm Surge, anything like that. Like, she, she's real, real nasty. Turn those elementals into bolts. Yep, the one thing, and something else I would like to note, is Rakamar is one of the lower-ranking uh, members of the 99 Club. She can be kind of played with just her and Lance, because her ability doesn't really require much of anything else. But unlike Ashling, she can't really hold her own, and she comes down way late in the game in comparison to what, she's, what you're doing with her. Mm-hmm. So you can do that if you chose to. Like, if you have a slow meta and you can get away with it, you can give it a try. I wouldn't suggest it, but, you know, it's just something I feel is worth mentioning. Yeah, I've got player just on her own, but as a little snake hidden in uh, a deck, it's super, super good. Yeah, and she's she's amazing. I love the fact that she throws out. And the main thing for her is, is that the elementals she creates don't die at the end of turn. Because typically, nope. like, effects like this, they're like, oh, yeah, make a 6-1 elemental, and it sacrifices itself at the end of turn. Make a 3-1 elemental. It's like, nope, her elemental show up, and they stay there. So as long as you can keep her there, she can continuously churn out an army of 3-1s for you. Yep, exactly. All right, so my last segment of cards here is going to be kind of the... It kind of plays into what Calvin ha- had used with those suspend cards, but this is more of the people aren't going to see it coming at, after a while, so... Like, with the suspend cards, people see them coming, so they can plan accordingly. Even if you're, like, super xanatosing it up, like, oh, I knew you wouldn't play because you had this coming, because my real plan was this, so I kept you off your thing, and I got to bounce another thing. But these ones are a little different. Long-term plans and lost hours. 
are both really cool because they both deal with third from the top of your deck. So for two in a blue, you have an instant that says search your library for a card, shuffle your library, then put that card third from the top. That's long-term plans. That's Bolas setting things up so that by the time that his ace is ready, the stage is set. And there's also Lost Hours, which is one in a black. Target player reveals his or her hand. You choose a non-land card from it. That player puts that card into his or her library third from the top. That, in a strict power level, that's not a, as good, but it still fits into that flavor of, I'm going to go ahead... Future plans? Yeah, future plans. Where, like, I knew you would draw this, uh, draw this card, so I had this scenario prepared. Or, I may have delayed you a little bit so that we can go ahead and set this scenario up where, like, maybe my night, maybe I had Night Veil Spectre on the field. And I waited until that card was on top of your deck, so then I hit you, and now I get that card. Now, the two things I want to note here about this, these two particular cards that William has picked. One, a lot of times these are, these cards might be considered bad because you're spending a card, you're putting a card third from the top of your deck, you're not getting it into your hand, you won't be seeing it for three more turns. If your opponent's playing some type of mill deck, or you know they, or they see it coming, because they'll know it's there, then, you know, they can easily just backfire and bite you in the ass. But the things I would say would probably be like to their, these two cards advantages is the fact that since it's the third card from the top, typically by the time you get around to drawing it, everybody else at the table has kind of forgotten what it was or might not have cared anymore or might not be paying attention. So as long as you're not going for something like, I don't know, like Karn or Damnation that everybody remembers, then you can potentially like, yeah, I'm going to go get this and put it there. And by the time you get around to drawing it, they may have actually forgotten you put it there and you might actually be able to get some extra draw spells and get it earlier, whatever the case may be. If you have a Sensei's Divining Top on the field, you can like shuffle it around, put it back into your deck or put it back into or set it up so you do get it the next turn. All right. So, Kevin, what's your final cycle? The final thing that I wanted to bring out for Nico Bola, seeing as how we are discussing the dragon, is... What was it? Uh, Crux of Fate, the black spell. That's a wrath, and it destroys. And you can choose dragon or cons. And if you're choosing one or the other, it destroys all non-dragons, or you can choose it to destroy all dragons. And with Nico Bolas as your commander, you, if he's on the field, you can easily choose dragons and keep him safe. Or you can choose, if he's not on the field, you can choose either effect and try to wrath the board. It's a nice way of getting a chance to like destroy things without actually killing, without him actually dying. You know, like a nice little wrath effect that he could use that won't hurt him unless he truly, truly needs to. Mm. And that is totally flavor appropriate. Absolutely. All right. So, Eric. Uh, I've got kind of two cards that I could do at the same time here. Uh, one of them is just an honorary mention to Mind Twist. Because of the fact that, uh, Nicol Bolas, if you, if you know the lore, Nicol Bolas is supposed to have, like, just touching him is supposed to destroy your ability to form coherent thoughts. Uh, he's supposed to have basically so much black mana pulsing through his body that, like, his touch physically melts your brain's ability to function as long as he's touching you. It's, uh, supposed to be completely debilitating. So, Mind Twist is a really good way to represent that. Uh, and then just, Cruel Ultimatum, because it's, it's almost his ultimate on his Planeswalker card, and it is a, uh, it's a seven mana spell, it's a sorcery, it costs two blue, two red, and three black, it's part of the Ultimatum cycle from Shards of Alara, and there's a lots of, or the new art with this card features Bolas, uh, basically completely screwing with Sarkin, and the list of things that happens here is extensive and brutal. 
When you play it, target opponent sacrifices a creature, discards three cards, and then loses five life. You then, in turn, return a creature card from your graveyard to your hand, draw three cards, and gain five life. It is a real, real nasty smack in the face, and if you hit someone at the table with this, you're setting them way far back. Incidentally, I have seen someone get hit by Nickel Bolas's Limit Break. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, having the guy try and decide between the two of us where to end the Limit Break is one of the most nerve-wracking things I can think of. <laughs> yeah, you don't want you don't want that thing coming at you. Like I'm like I want to convince you to aim it at the other guy, but at the same time I don't want to argue too hard. Otherwise, you're gonna know how desperately I don't want you to get to hit me with it. Yeah, exactly. All right, and that does it for our Flavor Entourage. So hopefully you managed to come away with a few cool ideas from this. This is, it, it would be, I, I, Xanatos is one of my... As, Xanatos. Yeah, he, he's Xanatos. Like, I, I've i already named my favorite kinds of villains, but Xanatos is just, like, in a whole category all in the zone. Like, this is a, like, I just can't comprehend the kind of person who can actually think that far into the f- future in terms of just events and contingency plans. And Bolas fills that really nicely. So, it's the end of our episode, and you know what that means. It's time for us to take this to the outro. I'm actually kind of I'm actually kind of happy with the way that that last segment went, seeing as how I don't have my laptop and a couple of those cards I just had to try to remember from the top of my head. Yeah, yeah, that was actually a really sweet cycle you came up with. I need to get a couple of reality strokes for my decks now. Yeah, go ahead. Stroke that reality. Stroke that reality hard and stroke it long. Right. So this has been Commander Cast episode 110 plus one. That's episode 111. I want to go ahead and thank both these guys for showing up today. Calvin, thanks for showing up. It's not 111. We're on episode 211. Why did I think it was episode 111? That would mean that this would be the 11th episode we've done because Andy got to 100. Will? I don't know why. I feel so silly right now. In all honesty, I thought that you really put that one one there just to kind of like because it was a typo or mistake or did you fuck like I did not realize you actually believed this was episode. No, it, that was oh a typo. Oh my god, that, was, that hell, was a typo. I fi- see. How the hell do you? That know? was a t- that was a typo. I have two eleven in the intro. Yeah, and yet for some strange reason you're still saying episode. It, it, we've gone through the entire episode, and you're still calling it uh, episode 111. No, see, what's happening is that this is episode 111, and I've gone back in time and set everything up for this one joke. Uh huh. No, 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 no. Oh God, Eric. So Eric, God, for- I can't help you here. <laughs> thanks for coming out today, Eric. No, no, redo I, that no outro. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> do, you, do you actually want me to Fine. do the outro? No, 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 no. We, we've come this far. Just, just, uh, I'm, uh. All according to play. If I see you, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time. So at this point, we're going to start handing out contact information. Calvin, if people want to reach you, how can they do that? 
If people want to contact me, it's real easy to do. All you have to do is go over to Twitter, and I'm at Captain Red Zone. Or you can hit me up with an email in Gmail at CaptainRedZone at gmail.com. Or you can go over to the Commander Cast Facebook page. I'm over there with William and Judd, and we're usually adminning over there, looking around, posting up home version things, posting up the latest information for the site. And every once in a while, William does weird stuff with photos and stings and whatever the case may be. Good times. Very good times. So, Eric, if people want to reach you, how can they do that? Uh, they can reach me at uh, ericbonvie at gmail.com. It's E-R-I-C-B-O-N-V-I-E at gmail.com. Or at that Bonvie guy on Twitter. Or they can go to facebook.com slash rivalsduel or the comments on any of the Rivals Duel episodes on CommanderCast. Absolutely. And if you want to reach me personally, I am Hernandez at gmail.com. People like to ask me for recommendations about anime, apparently. Who knew? I'm at Twitter, at BlueRam1409. And if you want to just get hold of CommanderCast Prime in general, that's going to be CommanderCast at gmail.com. Follow us at CommanderCast. And like Calvin said, we have a Facebook page. Manned by him, Judson, and occasionally myself, if I can uh, remember to do anything. And hey, you can leave us a review on iTunes, and I'll read off anyone who leaves a five-star review. In fact, let's go ahead and check that now. Do-do-do-do-do. So, no, no five-star reviews this time, but hey, you could leave some, and you could have me say some things. Thanks to everyone who contributes to our website. Calvin, Eric, everyone. You're all fantastic people, and I'm looking forward to hearing from our boys over at Squirecast. I'm expecting great things from them. Music for our show is the X Beats Heavy Metal Series by 331 E-Rock. Check him out on YouTube and support his Patreon. We'll see you next week with more community, strategy, and technology. Until then, let's get it! So now we get to the part where we have Calvin and Williams anime corner. So Calvin, are you still powering through the, that one piece? Yeah, I was getting to that point. I've, and what was it? Since I had to do a lot of moving last week, I would have been completely finished with the set goal that I had of reaching the 397, but I had to like stop and I've got like 25 episodes left. But on the bright side, now that the moving is over, finally, and I've actually got a chance to get a chance to sit down and relax, during this um, tomorrow, I plan on going to the final 25 episodes of that and getting to that point where I'll probably over the weekend wait and then start the subs on Monday. Right, using that simulcast they have? Hmm? What no, no, like I, uh, Hulu, no, Hulu has it now, has the subbed versions of them. Up until like recent, I'm um, like they on Hulu is up to like 700 or something. Yeah, like I'm looking at Crunchyroll and Crunchyroll has I think 912. 
Oh, it's on nine hundred. It's up to nine hundred on Crunchyroll. Fine. Well, I don't even need to go to Hulu. I just watch it on Crunchyroll. Actually, no. Can I watch it on Crunchyroll? Will they let me go back that far? Because I don't have a subscription to Crunchyroll. You I should. just have the free one. Well, you should be able to watch everything One Piece on Crunchyroll, except for like the, the that week's episode. I mean, yeah, that's, if that's the case. I can check it when I get back downstairs. If Crunchyroll will allow me to do it, then I'll just go ahead and just Crunchyroll it up. Oh, let me let me and see. And I'll get up to episode like nine hundred. Yep. I have... The only problem for, like, being on Hulu is that I have to figure out what season I'm on. Yeah, that's kind of the dickens. Okay, so it looks like episodes... Okay, so tomorrow, episode 704 comes out. And for... I'm guessing for One Piece. Is that sub or dub? It, well, it's all subbed. Okay, so how does Crunchyroll have 900 episodes? Well, it says nine, 900 videos. I'm guessing, like... At least most, some uh, of those so, are like promos or so whatever. It's probably, so it's probably like 700 and there's probably a bunch of promos and then there might be like 200 or something that's like dubbed or something. Okay, it says that it's special edition high definition. So. Ah, so it's all subbed but then there's like 200 or so after, like seven. Uh, it's about 200 episodes that's like probably high definition or whatever. Okay, I'm, let's see, yeah, the special edition stuff is subscriber only, but you can get the regular stuff for free. Yep. Okay, that's fine. I have no problem with commercials in my one piece. It gives me a chance to jump up and go to the bathroom. <sighs> so, in an effort to try and catch up on what's popular before we head to MatsuriCon later this week in Columbus, Ohio, it's a fantastic convention. You should probably check it out. Uh, actually, it won't I because by the time they hear this, it'll be gone. Well, no, I actually do mean later this week. By the time the listeners are hearing this, because it's going to be the it's next week. Okay. Yeah, because on normally we would be. Uh, it's actually going to start on August 14th and through 16th. Only it's going to be weird for me and Ashley because we have a wedding to go to on the 14th, so we're going to miss most of Friday. But it's okay because we're going to show up like late at night on Friday, and we're going to get there in time for the 18 plus voice actor panel, where it's like, mm-hmm. hey, all the voices for the characters that you like get together, and we're going to make really dirty jokes and talk about really inappropriate stuff with lots of swearing. Cool. Or was it, uh, there's a new, there's a new anime that recently popped up on Netflix. Let me see if I can find it real quick. So one of the things that Ashley and I saw re- together recently was, uh, Monster Musume Everyday Life with Monster Girls. It's basically mm. like that Tenshi Muyu type harem show where all the girls are after the one guy and it's all about the boobilies. But the, yeah. tw- but the twist is Which like, are perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with those. Nope. Because everybody loves those, loves them titties. Yep, like they're on episode five right now, so it's really easy to catch up and get into the screen things. And that's your kind of your, your shindig. The twist is like all of the girls are actual physical monsters. Like the first girl's a, got the lower half body of a snake, and there's a heartbeat, there's a a centaur, and there's also like a slime girl and a mermaid. I'm not looking forward you know, to. Will, will apparently be a spider girl. See, I might actually jump into that because that sounds a lot like this other anime that I was watching a while ago that only got like two seasons on my thing. It was uh, Rosary Vampire. Yeah, I really lo- love Rosaria Vampire, the manga. The anime got too etchy for my taste, though. Like, it was too focused on the panty shots and all that. Yeah. But if you're reading the manga... Because like, yeah, like, I got through like all of the Rosary Vampire seasons that they had available on Netflix. No, yeah. And the next thing I'm planning on watching is, uh, what was it? This third, it's only 13 episodes, and it's a show called, uh, Fate Stay Night. Oh, I love Fate Stay Night. Yeah, like Unlimited Blade Works. 
it's uh, basically like high school students and their allies. And they're competing in a secret tournament to to gain possession of the Holy Grail. Yep, you get all kinds of uh, heroic heroes. Like you got Hercules versus Sir Galahad, and I'm pretty sure. Oh, what, what the fuck was that douchebag's name? Not. And oh, also, I added uh, what was it? R W B Y. I added that to my list of things to watch too. Oh, Ruby's another one I like. Like, uh, Yang. Oh, that's how you spell it? Ruby? Right, it's, yeah, because... Oh, that's how you pronounce it? Yeah. You pronounce it Ruby, and, like, the main character's name is also Ruby. Gotcha. Good. Yep. And Yang, the blonde one, is one of my favorites. Actually, I need to make sure I... I need to add her to, to this particular chart I'm working on. Like, she's, she's one of those thrill-seeker type characters, but she also has a... The guy, uh, Monty Um, who passed away recently was a big mm-hmm. fan of stuff like Cowboy Beat Bob and Dragon Ball Z, just like classic anime stuff. So the show, in a lot of respects, is his love uh, letter to those shows. Like, here, like Yane has like that Super Saiyan thing where the more she gets beat up, the stronger she gets. And she ha- and all the girls have these really cool gun hybrid things where like their weapon is also part gun. And she has these gauntlets mm-hmm. that she can, that whenever she punches in the air, they shotgun stuff. Hmm. Like the the oh, court, give that a try. like story wise, there were some hiccups and stuff that needs that could be done better. But the choreography is beautiful on Ruby, and like it's also in English too, so no subtitles. Oh, oh, I got it, I got it. Uh, what was it? Uh, have you ever seen the um, the anime? What was it? Freezing? No, I haven't. Okay, well, Freezing basically is this anime where it's this um, school, right? And it has these girls and these, um, basically, the girls have these powers. All of them are like these big, badass, warrior-type women. And all of the males in the school are, I forget what it's called, but they're like partners. And in order for a female student to unlock her true potential and power, she has to have a male partner who can assist her, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And basically what ends up happening is is that there ends up being coming this one girl there who's like known as like the um I think it's like the ice queen or the frost queen or something like that. Because she's really powerful but she has like no male counterpart. Hmm. And she's basically like undefeated at the school because they have these tournaments where like the girls are constantly like training to take each other on. Because there's a bigger basically the story arc has like a bigger theme to it, just like these creatures or armies that they're protecting themselves against and they have to train these girls to be able to be the ones to fight but the male is always like smaller and weaker and in order for them to reach their full potential they need a male partner but the ice queen doesn't have one so the episode basically starts off with her being this undefeatable badass and she ends up losing her first match because this new kid who comes to the school who's a guy ends up like accidentally like stumbling into the hallway while she's having a fight with this other girl and she ends up getting like ends up losing and inevitably she chooses him to be her partner but a part of the stipulations at the school is is that in order like because all the girls basically want a guy to be their partner and they're like willing to like do all kinds of weird things like basically turn themselves into like the guys like sex slave hmm. not necessarily saying it ever actually goes that particular far in the show but there are you girls know, you never actually desperate. yeah girls will get desperate and it's like you know we need i need a partner and the only way for this to work and the only way for me to be able to do this is i need a partner and basically what ends up happening is like it's kind of like the um you know like how when you're playing like an rpg there's like the 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 tank and the healer yep 
that's basically like the position that's played, where it's like typically the girls are the tanks on the show, and the males are their healers. No, it's just like in Enigma. Right. Exactly. It's just like in there, but it's like instead of like, but you know, as opposed to it being not Neji who's going after all the women, it's basically women only really want want multiple male partners. Some of them have multiple male partners. Some of them only want one guy or so just to bring out enough of their potential to do things. And they end up having all these, like, epic battles. And each girl has their own little powers and abilities depending on, like, what they do and weapon trees and stuff. It's actually a really good show to watch. And I ran through the first season, and then it got into a version of uh, Freezing that I think is Freezing Vibration. Hmm. And at that point in the upgraded version of it, it all got into sub, and then I stopped for a while. And I need to get back in it to finish watching it. But it's actually a pretty decent show. If you haven't checked it out, I've suggested. Right uh, I believe the episodes on Netflix for it are only like, I think there's only like maybe like 24 episodes, I would think. That's not bad. Not really. That's a couple of seasons for Japan. All right, we've got Calvin on. Hello, Calvin. Oops. Excellent. Calvin, go ahead and read something else so I know that your connection is good. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm pretty sure my connection should be just fine because I'm using my phone as per usual. My headphones might sound different, though, because I'm using a different type of headset. Wow, that actually sounds pretty good. Except that we can hear something crinkling. Oh, that's because I'm digging in my bag to pull my laptop out. Ah. I'm done digging. No more crinkling. No more crinkling. The mining no is more. done. I feel like I feel like we're going to find out crinkle is racist to someone. Only the friendly like, Some some racial group is very upset that we said the word crinkle. Oh, Tumblr's always upset about something. Mm-hmm. Now that we have the uh, house and everything here, we're in the process of trying to get everything taken care of. And in order to do that, part of it means that we have to sell a little bit of our stocks that we currently hold mm. in order to kind of have some extra money to be able to take care of a few minor details from here and from around the um, house. I'm kind of surprised to hear that you own stock, period. I was going to say, look at you all adult with your stocks and stuff. Yep, like I currently own stocks in uh, Netflix. I own some stocks in LG cell phones and a small amount in some other things that my wife was interested in picking up. I should visit Hasbro at some point. Hasbro? Recently in, yeah, for Wizards. I mean, mm. Wizards is owned by Hasbro, but Hasbro has everything else too, so like Transformers, Pony, stuff like that. But you yeah. see, the problem for Hasbro is, is that Wizards is like one of their, is currently one of their more consecutive and consistent um, properties. So across the board, everything else has a tendency to kind of fluctuate and go up and down, but currently Wizards, uh, Magic the Gathering is the, uh, one of the only things they have that's constant and constantly on the rise. Let's see, if you own Hasbro, if you invested in Hasbro, you would be getting, Wizards would be doing their part, but like My Little Pony might completely fuck up your share. Potentially, but if you own stock in Hasbro, then you can literally say, hey, I'm your boss, why aren't you providing stuff with me? And have at least some validation for complaining about Fetchlands not being in Zendikar. That only works if you have an equivalent (laughs) amount of stocks. (laughs) Oh, don't I know it. So like it's one of those things where like I have enough stocks in Netflix where anytime their thing goes up I make money off of it, but I don't have enough stocks in Netflix to be like, hey, I want you to make a new Marvel TV series based on the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> it'd be the if only only way to, you had that kind of power. It'd be the only way a good Hulk film could be done. 
I personally hey, think that it would probably be the best thing for him, make an Incredible Hulk film for Marvel. Ed Norton was uh, good as the Hulk. Which I one? I like that one. Uh, which, which Hulk was? That was the one with the Abomination. See, I don't remember any of them. Like, I've seen them, but I don't remember them. Okay, you remember the Ang Lee one where he was fighting the 3D graphical dogs? Nope. Okay. Never Did mind. Never mind that. I'm not even going to continue trying to figure this out. But yeah. I think that the Incredible Hulk would probably be one of the better characters for them to make a TV series based off of it. I disagree. The budget well, for I the think... special effects would be real, real bad. No, but see, the thing here about that, though, Eric, is, is that currently they're already making plans to do, uh, what is it, uh, uh, Thunderbolts? No, uh, Defenders. Yeah, it's Def- Defenders that no, are doing on Netflix. No. But... no, they're doing Defenders, but they're in, they're in talks of planning a Thunderbolts as well. Oh, Thunderbolts are pretty cool. Uh, ba- uh, basically, the Thunderbolts are Marvel's version of the Suicide Squad. Oh, I know, I know the Thunderbolts. Don't you try right. and educate me on the Thunderbolts. I'm just making, I'm just making sure that William is keeping up. <laughs> no, I am the one who would need the education on this. Okay, so let's and see. We got Venom, Elektra, Deadpool, Red Hulk. Well, the thing about the Thunderbolts is that their lineup changes a lot, so they could get away with doing basically anyone who's pseudo-villainous. It's supposed right. to be villains either used as a Black Ops squad or villains who are trying to redeem themselves and be heroes. Right. And, and my view, and my, and, and, and my thing for it here is, is that if the Thunderbolt series, cause, the, cause apparently Netflix and Marvel are trying to do like that whole phase one, phase two thing like they're doing for their movies. Mm-hmm. And phase one basically is like Daredevil, Luke Cage, and the Defenders concept. But mm-hmm. once that's ran its course, they're planning on trying to include, uh, Thunderbolts into their Netflix lineup. Okay. And my thing is, is that if they do do that and they include Red Hulk, then they would have the budget to do a show based on just Hulk himself. They won't do Red Hulk. I'm I'm pretty sure that they wouldn't. I'm pretty sure that they wouldn't. It's just me far-stretching, but I personally think that a TV show based on the Hulk would probably be the only way for the character to get the notoriety that he could need, that he currently deserves. Because a TV show based on the Hulk worked once, and that was before we had graphics and the ability to have, like, all these kind of characters and things going for it. But the other thing, here's the problem. Uh, that show worked when the Hulk knocked down walls. And the Hulk we've established now doesn't knock down walls anymore. He throws buildings at people. So, like... It, right, but that's what I'm saying. Like, it's, it's like one of those shows where it's like, I could easily see it being a show mostly about Banner with a few, like, episodes thrown in here and there where he actually gets a chance to Hulk out. And, like, you know, certain points of mass destruction will just be referenced or be shown in, like, video footage or whatever. And you kind of, like, reserve the actual, like, Hulk battles for, like, if you have, like, a 13-episode show, a series, mm-hmm. I would say, like, every, like, third episode, you really get the Hulk. Like, the first episode, like, you'll be, like, episode one, you get mostly Banner trying to do what he can to avoid being Hulked out and, like, the story and whatever that's going on there. And maybe, like, some, like, videos or images of what the, what the Hulk has done. Episode two would be, like, situations where things occur where he starts getting prepared to Hulk out. Then you put your budget into episode three, where he does Hulk out. Episode four, then you kind of repeat the pattern where Forrest Banner kind of getting back to just being Banner, dealing with the repercussions of what happened and stuff like like of that nature. Mm. Not necessarily saying Hulk in every episode, but Hulk in enough episodes where it can be like, it can I be satisfying to the viewer. I don't but buy like, it. Still. Because there's, the problem is, is there's no reason to do that when you have Luke Cage. Because the Luke yeah. Cage show is almost the same thing, right? Luke Cage goes around solving problems. He's got super strength and invulnerability. He never has to transform. He can just blow through walls as, as normal. 
Right. And I mean, plus, don't get me wrong. Absolutely. I, I, don't get me wrong. I know that they have the lineup for it, but my view for it is is that if they were to go to a process of starting including that kind of stuff, Hulk is the kind of character where he can't really do a single movie, but he works in like a TV show where you have more time to develop the relationship between Banner and other people. You don't have to constantly go through the origin stories. You don't have to constantly go through the concept of, oh, here's Banner trying to escape and doing it, like, you know, like, and try to squeeze it all in into the small period of time that you have. Because Hulk right. works as more of like of a long, he works, he's like Daredevil. He's a character that works better in a longer series. Okay. And that's one of my that. works. Like, you know, like, cause, like, cause every time they try to do a Hulk movie, it doesn't work. But the Hulk TV show worked. And then when the reason the TV show went down, they started doing Hulk movies and those didn't really work. So it just kind of just like, uh, I looked at it as like a domino effect of like the show is going down. All right, well, let's try to make it into movies. Oh, the movies are getting worse now. The show is getting even worse ratings because the movie sucked. And then it just kind of trickled down from there. To so be I fair. The thing, like able to do it on a show, just not really being able to hold a movie. Yeah. So I'm entirely lo- lost by this conversation we're ha- having here. Not being. It's actually. all right. We can talk about magic. <laughs> right. Let's talk about a different MCU. Uh, which one? The, Mon- the Magic Cinematic Universe coming out next year, right? God, uh, that's going to be about what fucking doing terrible. With it. And, I'm, and, that's, and I personally, yeah, exactly. I feel that the Magic Cinema would be also better if it was done on Netflix. That is definitely something that could be done better as a series. Oh my God, could you imagine? They'd have like one episode, one like hour and a half mini movie devoted to each planeswalker. They and it would be, and it would be like five episodes, just one for each color. You mean like done with the uh, the Sherlock method? Uh, yeah, exactly. And there'd be five yeah. episodes, one for a new Planeswalker, and then the next season would be, like, new Planeswalkers again. That'd actually be pretty cool. Just have, like, one-off stories for everyone who's not getting the limelight. Mm-hmm. Yep, like one-off be- stories for everybody. I could easily see having, like, maybe, like, some, like, backstory references to other Planeswalkers you don't get a chance to really see, but that appear in other stories later on. Mm-hmm. You could have crossover, like, with Nyssa, you could meet Sorin, and then Sorin would be, like, the season two black Planeswalker. Mm-hmm. See, that's something that would work a lot better. And then they could do it, like, every six months or so. So if you planned it out correctly, you could have the show currently rotating with the blocks. Oh, wow. That'd be clever. I mean, Creative does work two years ahead of set release, so that right. could creative work. Works two ahead, creative works two, ahead of set, two years ahead of set release, so the TV show already knows two years in advance of what they're going to be needing to do, giving them mm-hmm. plenty of time to prepare for it. And then when a block is over, because we have the two set blocks now, when the two set blocks are over at the end of that six month period, boom, here's a series of five or six shows or whatever it is with all the planeswalkers from there. So you can just watch all of the things that happened there. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, you could follow the story along the lines if you read the un- uh, Uncharted Realms. But then, like, you know, if you just really wanted to see, like, the little nitbits here and there and pick up on more of that story, you could just go right to it. All right. Let's get started with the episode. We're going to get uh, all caught up on stuff beforehand. All right. Uh, yeah. Dingly bits, people. That's what, the, that's what we're here for. That's what the audience wants. The they dang- don't want to hear magic content. They want to hear us talk about this kind of thing. They want to hear the bittiest of dangles. All right. The dangliest of bits. All right, so let's go ahead and get, get right into it then. Like Australia will find you, and it will kill you. It is the Leonard Nimoy. Uh, Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you're saying that you, I've got Leonard Nimoy hot on my ass trying uh, to take me uh, out? Uh, I meant, uh, what, ah, oh, damn it, the guy from Taken, I can't get his name in my head. I Liam Neeson? Liam Neeson, that's what <laughs> I'm Liam trying Neeson. to say. Oh, right. uh, Calvin, I've got something that's going to make you very jealous. 
Oh, what's that? So I had to manage my store for uh, three weeks at not okay. manager pay while my manager was away on vacation. Yes. So they gave me I've had, a... I've had to go through those a couple of times. Yeah, it's fucking terrible. So uh, I got uh, an LCBO gift card. And since you don't live in Canada and don't know what the LCBO is, it is where you buy liquor when you're in Ontario. Uh, so I got a very... How much is the gift card for? The gift card was 50 bucks, but I used hey, it... Hey, hey. I used... still get you a decent amount of alcohol. It does, but I used it towards and then paid more on top of that to buy a very fancy bottle of bourbon. Like, it's kind of mm-hmm. shaped like the holy hand grenade from Monty Python. It's got a statue of a dude <laughs> riding a horse on top of it. It's very, very shiny stuff. Nice. That, that reminds me of, like, the um, bottle of crystal head I gave my wife for Valentine's Day. Mm, the vodka? Uh, yeah. What was it? Uh, Bill Murray had mm. uh, came up with a new, with his own brand of vodka. And if you look up the video for it on YouTube, it's funny because he um, says he uh, went into a liquor store and asked the uh, woman at the cash register to give him some head. And she slapped him. And <laughs> and he wants he wants to be able to say it without getting slapped. <laughs> yeah. So he now he wants. So he has like his own brand of whiskey. It's basically like a glass skull with yep. a cap and the top of the cranium. And you and it's really good. It's really strong. And me, my wife, and two of our friends sat down drinking that thing. Man, it was powerful. But it was so <laughs> worth the price. All right, I'm actually gonna pour myself a glass of bourbon now that we're talking about it. Give me a minute. Well, if he's doing that, then I'm gonna run downstairs and grab a beer. I'm taking a phone with me, but I will be muted temporarily. <sighs> Menegas.com.